All right. We're here again. We are here again. Episode two. I love it. Whatever the fuck this is, another profile. This one spawned out of the first one. It did. Awesome. Uh, if you don't know, I'm Max. I'm here with Snake Eyes. <laughs> FBI agent at large. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those of you at home, that's Chris. <laughs> Not Snake Eyes. I but want, you can call him Snake Eyes. I want it to be known that the uh, my my credentials for Snake Eyes, yeah. FBI, I still agent, need to see those, by the way. I wish I still had them. <laughs> but they were hand printed. It'd be perfect to like hang up in the studio if you Oh my god. Think you yeah. can recreate it? I think so. I think so. Is there it's, any it, way you still have the picture you used? Because that would oh, be awesome. Oh, I don't know, but I have some old pictures from the uh, from the from, ginger mullet. I come pretty close. Nice. Actually, it might even been pre mullet days. Oh shit! So yeah, I I can definitely recreate it mm-hmm. for for those of you uh, wondering what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was regaling Max with uh, with tales of when I was younger making up FBI cards, um, FBI ID cards, and my. Uh, Getting it started early, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and my name was Snake Sound Eyes, like... uh, FBI secret agent. To which you informed me that apparently uh, FBI doesn't have secret agents, and I was I, like, yeah, clearly somebody who does not know how the FBI works. I mean, if you'd have made a Snake Eyes CIA badge, I think that would have been <laughs> that would have been awesome. more appropriate. But whatever, I mean, you do what you got to do, right? That's no, fine. You want to be a secret agent in the FBI with nobody else? That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be whatever I got, yeah. you know, my credentials. <laughs> That's, you don't pick your credentials, yeah. right? They they get pick you. So, as I said, this is episode two, I guess. And uh, our first episode was uh, on the, the handsome uh, Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. So handsome. Yeah, um, very handsome. And uh, a little update on him. I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, he has a comic book out now that he wrote. Oh, Called cool. Berserker. And there's 12 issues of it. And now I think they're already in, Netflix is already in, to- in talks to make it a, a series. Oh, that's awesome. So I don't know if he's like the drawings of it. It's clearly Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he's going to star in it or not or whatever. But this must uh, have been the guy that he was working with before or with the books that they, yeah, they maybe. had some books that, that they yeah. were working on together. So. so apparently it was scheduled for release in early 2020, but I don't know, maybe COVID pushed it back because it was just released this month. I think the first episode or cool. the first issue. So. I don't know, something for us to check out on the old uh, Keanu there. I like it. See how he's going on. Also, uh, I think I tagged you on on something that we both agreed with on Facebook was uh, Keanu is the greatest action star of all time. 100%. And I mean, I don't know how you can disagree with that because he's so handsome. No. And if you do, (laughs) if you do... Listen, in the middle of the night, Snake Eyes might make a visit. <laughs> That's and, perfect. And you don't want... Snake Eyes during the day is fine. Snake Eyes yeah. in the middle of the night, not a fucking thing that you want at yeah. all. Nope. In your home, not at, at your all. cottage. Not at all. Not even on a long ride home. Because sometimes... <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't be driving and have Snake Eyes pop out of the back seat at me. You don't want Snake Eyes coming unannounced, period. That's what <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying to you right now. So yeah. that's cool. I, I we, maybe we'll do a little bit of a tag on update to that episode. Yeah, on that on that uh, on that front. By that time, some yeah. of the sequels will have been out, and that's cool. But yeah, yeah, you're right. This this episode here spawned from that one, um, and this was pretty high on your scale, and it was something that was intriguing to me because not a I was never a really huge fan. And that yeah. So who we're gonna talk about today is River June Phoenix. That's correct. Jude Phoenix. Sorry. Um, so he has a couple monikers here, and uh, to start with, so there's the the vegan James Dean. 
which whatever. Uh, the other one that I read is the Kurt Cobain of Hollywood. Now I have an issue with that one, but we'll talk about that later. Why I have an issue with that one. But anyway, okay. we're going to move on with, uh, with river Jude Phoenix, who, uh, was born August 23rd, 1970 in Madras, Oregon. Um, he's named river after the river of life from the book Siddhartha by Herman Hess. Uh, which I could have swore was a Nazi, uh, but I looked him up. He was not. Um, <laughs> Anybody just, who sounds like a Nazi automatically yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I apologize to the uh, Hess family for assuming that he was a Nazi. Um, his middle name, Jude, came from the song Hey Jude by the Beatles. Siddhartha, which, do you know this book? Because it's a, I figured this would be right up your, your alley. It's, I haven't it's, read it, but it's I, about, I with it. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his fucking first name. Guatama, mm-hmm. Buddha. Who founded Buddhism? Mm-hmm. So I thought that would be something you're probably interested in. Maybe have read that or heard yeah, of it. Yeah, or... I haven't read it. I've heard of it, but uh, be something interesting to look into. Yeah. So his mother Arlen Dunitz. Uh, she later changes her name to Hart. Um, she was born in New York to Jewish parents who were originally from Russia and Hungary. His father, great name. I don't. This is like a porn name. I think. Anyway, his father John Lee Bottom was a lapsed Catholic. And, uh, this is funny. I had to look up lapsed Catholic because I wasn't a hundred percent sure I had a good idea, but, uh, do you know what this is? This is a, Mm-mm. this is a non-practicing, but still identifies as a Catholic. Oh, so somebody who's literally lapsing on their responsibilities yeah. as a Catholic. All yeah, right. But still tells people, oh, I'm Catholic. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Sure. He's from Fontana, California, mm-hmm. and he's of English, German, and French ancestry. Um, in 1968, uh, Arlen was traveling across the states and hitchhiking in California when she met John. Um, they were married less than a year later in 1969. And this is where the shit starts to get weird. <laughs> Summer of 69, baby. Yeah. Phoenix has uh, one brother, uh, three sisters, and an older half-sister. Uh, we'll get into them in a minute. The family is referred to as an intern... Oh, fuck. This was another one. I turn it family? Okay. Itinerant family. I don't know how to say that word. Okay. Anyway, basically what it means is uh, like gypsies, they travel from place to place and they don't really ever settle. So that's that's how they're described as uh, um, from people. Cool. Um, For his brothers and sisters, we've got some really interesting names here, which uh, we're going to go over. And also each child is born in a different place. Mm -hmm. So um, we mentioned River Jude Bottom. That was his name when he was born. He was born in 1970 in Oregon. They are all born with the last name Bottom. Okay. Um, So first we'll go with the older half-sister, Jodine Bottom. She was born in 1964 in uh, California. She was, when River found out about her, he, he wanted to find her, and which he did. Um, she had a daughter when he found her and, uh, I looked at, saw, saw some family pictures. They looked very happy. She was accepted into the Phoenix clan immediately and they all treated her like family member and he grew up with her as well. So we'll get into the, uh, biological brothers and sisters, uh, after river, of course, the next is, <laughs> this one makes me laugh. I, I shouldn't laugh. I guess it's whatever. Rain Joan of Arc uh, Phoenix. We'll go with the Phoenix name because they do change it to Phoenix, but they're all born bottom. Anyway, Rain Joan of Arc Phoenix was born in 1972 in Crockett, Texas. Uh, Next, this guy you're going to know. Joaquim Raphael Phoenix was born. Raphael, eh? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, was born in 1974 in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're, we're moving around here. 
Libertad Mariposa Phoenix, she goes by Liberty, was born in 1976 in Caracas, Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, Summer Joy Phoenix was born in 1978 in Winter Park, Florida. You might also know her as Mrs. Casey Affleck. She married uh, Ben's younger brother, and they were married for 11 years. I don't Interesting. think they're together okay. now. But, uh, yeah. So, the whole, all of the brothers and sisters, they were bitten by the acting bug and were musicians. And River himself never went to school. Uh, in 1972, the Bottoms, at the time, they joined the Children of God Religious Movement. <clears throat> cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, they were missionaries for the movement or the cult, if you will. Um, it took them all over the place, uh, to live. As mentioned, all the children were born in different places. Uh, River and his sister Rain would perform with a guitar and sing on the streets to earn food, uh, money, uh, and they would pass out the, uh, cult's literature. Uh, It was later said that he could, he could read and write and had an appetite for learning, but had no formal education. Uh, George, uh, Sluzier. Oh, fuck. He's a Dutch filmmaker who River will work with. Uh, he believed that River was dyslexic. Mm. So we'll talk a little bit about the children of God. I don't know. Did you look into these guys? I didn't dig deep on it. I just heard of them. Um, and I know that uh, Rose McGowan was actually yep. somebody who was raised in this cult as well. I mean, and that's a cult. That's a quote from an article that I, I read. Not my belief. So, yeah. But my belief is uh, it's cult. Yeah, so yeah, so it was formed in 1968 by David Berg. Um, it was originally called Teens for Christ, and then they changed their name to The Children of God. Uh, I've then, heard of the Teens for Christ, actually. That's interesting. I didn't know that it was born out of that. Yeah, so the family, after The Children of God, it was then called The Family of Love, uh, then was shortened to just The Family. Today, it's still around today, and it's known as The Family International. Okay. So... It's very deep-rooted in controversy. River himself, in 1991, he would say about the cult, they're ruining people's lives. As you mentioned, another famous person who was a member of this cult was Rose McGowan. She describes her experiences with the cult in a book that she wrote called Brave. Hmm. Um, We could probably do an entire episode on this cult, and maybe at some point we will. Mm -hmm. The cult is known for its belief that it's okay to have sex with children. That was one of the... One of the issues, um, there was evidence of this to back this up that the cult were abusing and raping minors. River himself says he was raped when he was four years old. He says he blocked out the details, which he was glad for. And in his words, he said, I didn't want different body parts that were in my face to make me perverse when I was older. So I blocked it out. Hmm. So as we're going to go through this guy's life, I'm not 100% sure that he did block that out. Anyway, years later... Joaquin, when they're interviewing him, he would claim, in his words here, uh, it was a complete and total joke because River was so tired of being asked ridiculous questions by the press. So the whole rape story, in Joaquin's words, was made up. It wasn't true. He's saying that River was never raped. Hmm. It is referenced quite a bit that he was raped in this cult. So, And was that a, that was his quote? That wasn't just somebody saying that? Or that was actually River that w- quoting that? River River had said that in an interview. They'd mm, asked him, okay. and he had said that he was raped when he was four years old, and his quote was about the body parts and being perverse as he got older, because he, that's so he blocked it out. Mm-hmm. Joaquin, after years and years and years, he would say, no, it was a joke. River made a joke because he was so sick and tired of stupid questions about the cult, so he mm-hmm. started to make stuff up. Mm-hmm. 
1977, uh, his parents become disillusioned with the cult and left and returned to the United States. In uh, in 1979, after his sister Summer was born, the Bottoms, this is when they changed their name to Phoenix. Uh, it was chosen because of its mythical connotations, which uh, I guess present day, if you've seen Harry Potter, you know what a phoenix is. <laughs> it's a mythical creature that uh, will rise from the ashes, um, which for them, then the family was signifying a rebirth after years of hardship and maybe escaping the cult, uh, cult life. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, any of the f- pictures that I looked up of the family, they all seemed very happy. I didn't see any of them having uh, horrible things to say about their parents. I mean, uh, his dad uh, has some uh, problems later on in life, but I still they didn't really talk ill of anybody that I read anyway. I don't know, maybe you came up with something different or... Yeah, they're, they're, the only thing that seemed to really come up was about the father. Mm-hmm. Uh, the family seemed to be a pretty close-knit unit, but the father had trouble with alcohol. Yeah. That was reported by a bunch of different people. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Ramus was one of the people who had, had commented on the fact that the the father seemed to struggle with these uh, these addictions. And, mm-hmm. and it, was, it was heavily reported that... Uh, River was somebody who actually would take care of his father a little bit more yeah. than vice versa. And I think that that's going to play into what we talk about later on in terms of his on-screen presence right. uh, as, as an adult figure and, and that maturity. And I think it really does tie in, as most things do, to your early experiences in life. For sure. So I think that that's kind of important. And it, it did make me think and make me wonder about the father's journey and through all of these different you know, experiences with the uh, the Teens for Titans there and the, the <laughs> Teen Titan yeah. God, God lovers, uh, yeah. the cult, because he was pretty entrenched in it. He was actually named the Archbishop of Venezuela, so right. they, he they were really in this yes. in this uh, organization, right? And who knows if the alcohol came before or after? But yeah, it definitely seemed like there was uh, an imbalanced relationship between River who uh, is, is the oldest. Right. And and the father. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so while the Phoenix clan here is in Florida, the children start to perform in talent shows, and uh, they were attracting some attention for their music and acting abilities. His mother actually reaches out to a person she grew up with looking for guidance. And uh, I think I mentioned this to you last night, uh, but I didn't tell you who it was because you didn't come across this. So... Uh, the person that she reaches out to that she grew up with is Penny Marshall. Oh, okay. From uh, Laverne, from Laverne and Shirley. Wow. So Penny uh, said, sure, come on out to LA because uh, Hart now, uh, I'm not sure if she's, her name's Hart at this point, but we're going to refer to her as Hart. Um, Hart wanted to get the shows, uh, the kids into show business and move to LA. So Penny said, come on out here, but don't come out here with the sole purpose because it's a difficult business to get into. So they went. Uh, his mother got the children an agent. Her name's Iris Burton, uh, and she started. Uh, the mother started to work for NBC as an executive secretary. Mm. For a time when they first arrived in in Hollywood, the Phoenixes were homeless and lived in a car. The children took to acting and singing on the street corners again to make money for the family. Uh, something that they were used to doing in the cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, Question for you: How was there any uh, discovery at how the mother? Was friends uh, with uh, with the... all it said is that they grew up in the same neighborhood oh, in, in New York. Okay, yeah. so uh, Brooklyn, I think, is where they were. Cool. They were both from. So Rivers' first acting gig here 
It came on TV. He did some commercials in 1983. He was on an episode of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I think that's his first actual accredited acting gig. Mm-hmm. In, in 1982? Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, so, uh, he was. it was based off the, the musical of the same name. He does some more TV in 1984. He's in an ABC after school special. He was on a show called It's Your Move. And in 1985, he plays Robert Kennedy Jr. in three episodes of Robert Kennedy and His Times. Uh, he also stars in a TV movie as Philip Brogan with Molly Ringwald and Ellen Burstyn. It's called mm. Surviving. I think that was his actually highest rated uh, performance on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so, yeah. He's in an episode of Family Ties with our time traveler and Canadian friend, Michael J. Fox. Love it. Yeah. Uh, also, in 1985, this is when he makes his big screen debut. And this is one of my favorite movies, and we also watched this yesterday. Uh, he plays Wolfgang Mueller or Muller in the Explorers mm-hmm. alongside this useless human. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Hawke. <laughs> now, I'd like to kind of take this moment to just let the audience know that there there was some real vitriol that you were spewing yesterday about a young yeah, man Ethan he pissed Hawk. me off in this fucking movie several um, times he did he really did and i i've never really felt anything towards ethan hawk but i think uh as i'm older now and i'm paying attention more to these these movies i don't know he pissed me off i was not i was i said some horrible things and uh you know what i'm not gonna take him back fuck ethan hawk um <laughs> That's not. That's not fair. I mean, he's been in some movies that I'm sure I saw him in. Uh, <laughs> but we were going through Ethan yeah. Hawke's list, and and he has always been unimpressive yeah. to both of us. Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know what it is about him, but yeah, whatever. Anyway, the tagline for this movie is: uh, "You don't need a driver's license to reach the stars." Well, that's a valid point because those kids are under 16 years old. They they were they yeah. were. So you're. You had never seen this movie? Never. We watched it yesterday. No. It's definitely a kid's movie. I think that's what it was kind of set out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised to find out yesterday that it was not Disney that did this movie, which I was 100% sure it was. Yeah. was not. <laughs> no, it was so, Paramount, right? Yes, it was Paramount. So I don't know what your thoughts on on uh, Little River here in this movie. This is his first big gig. So this is the this is the one. This is his first, first feature film. Yes. And uh, I... I don't know much about River and and his catalog of stuff. When when yeah. you had mentioned him to me, I was like, yeah, let's do it because this is going to be a journey for me. Yeah. I only really remember seeing him in one movie. Yeah. So I'm kind of going back with fresh eyes and, and watching this. And I'm trying to look for the reasons why it might be obvious to an audience that this guy has potential, this kid yeah. has potential. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I, I didn't really see anything that wowed me. Yeah. But a theme started to form mm-hmm. that will will expand upon a little bit yeah. uh, from my perspective of who he is, and maybe this is where the the filmmakers were were seeing his future. Yeah. In in uh, in this kid, but yeah, there wasn't anything super impressive. No. Other than the fact that he was acting a little bit older because he was a nerd. Yeah. And so he, he was, he had a, you know, a certain maturity mm-hmm. and a certain presence that wouldn't classify him as a kid. He was a kid, you know, being an adult, which I yeah. found interesting, but other than yeah. that, yeah, nothing. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Well, 
his his big break. I guess this is you're going to call this his big great break because he stars in a huge movie with uh, some fellow child stars. Um, of course, with Will Wheaton, Corey Feldman, and Jerry O'Connell. Um, they all went on to be stars in their own right. Um, there's a couple other big Hollywood names in this: Richard Dreyfus and John Cusack. Mm-hmm. This, of course, is Stephen King's Stand by Me, where he plays the streetwise but kind-hearted Chris Chambers. He's also in the music video for this for the title song, which. Uh, I don't know. Did you want to tell them? <laughs> did I want to tell them about the song for this movie? What happened when we turned so this movie? the because we did starts. watch this yesterday. <laughs> the movie starts and and you know just like anybody in our age group, this is a pretty sentimental movie and probably more amongst boys because it's a buddy it's a buddy movie. Yeah, and so we were really interested in watching this. Stand by me. Now, anybody that knows of the song at this point, it's a pretty notorious song. Well, the the movie opens with a very slow (laughs) rendition Mm -hmm. of Stand By Me. Yeah. And Richard (laughs) Dreyfuss is in the truck right at the beginning, and the song is playing. And you looked over at me, and you were like, man, I must must really remember this movie, because this song sounds familiar. (laughs) And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. It's uh, one of the not. most popular songs of all time. <laughs> yeah, I was not. And it didn't, I think before you even had a chance to ask me if I was fucking around, I clued in and was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. It's Stand By Me. <laughs> it took me a second. I said to you, it took me a second because I was there like, I'm like, is he fucking? No, he's not. I wasn't. He just had a moment. I totally okay. fucking space that the song stand by me was the theme song for stand by me in your defense and i was like fuck john williams killed this <laughs> if it pleases the court in your yeah. defense it, it was not the rendition that people would know no so no. it's a very it's a it's a slow it's, it's just slow the down. opening notes and it was yeah sure. and it was like i was like wow, it's, fuck, it's this is fucking op- catchy it's the opening <laughs> song like it's the song <laughs> Like, wow, fuck, they nailed it. This song's really catchy. This is going to be stuck in my head. I wonder what it is. <laughs> so yeah. great song, uh, which was which was awesome because I think you found a new song that you like. So Yeah, I totally downloaded it right after. What's old is new again. Yeah, so uh, the tagline for Stand By Me uh, is, for some, it's the last real taste of innocence and the first real taste of life. But for everyone, it's the time that memories are made of. Mm. I think that's pretty good because, like you said, this was a this is a pretty big movie from our childhood because um, not only was it Stephen King, but it's not Stephen King horror. I don't find I wouldn't classify it as horror. It's just a great great story. And I, I'd asked you yesterday because you uh, you're more into horror and whatnot and Stephen King and stuff. So I'd asked you yesterday if, how Stephen King felt about this movie because we know a lot of his. Uh, movies that have been made from his work he's not a fan of um so i didn't know if you knew if stephen king liked this or not or um, i hadn't heard anything yeah i don't know that might be something look into because i think like obviously i didn't read the book because i don't read books but uh i i think it's great i think uh, they did a great job now for this one for rivers acting in this one you definitely he's definitely older he's a little more mature but he's not the star for us we both thought that will wheaton and jerry o'connell fucking steal the show mm-hmm. will wheaton definitely and we'll we'll go into uh, a little bit later a little uh, uh some quotes from from the, his fellow co-stars uh of this movie but uh yeah i i think he's fine but again this is another ensemble cast with him he does uh he does stand out a little bit i think mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's there's a couple scenes in it but i mean 
yeah, it's an ensemble. I think Will Wheaton is the steals the show. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so interesting because I think this is uh, this is what makes me wonder, and it also puts in perspective that as casual viewers that that don't understand the acting and how to kind of really spot talent, mm-hmm. that you know we have no clue as to what these guys are seeing and what these people yeah. are seeing right like there is a notorious thing and i didn't know if you wanted me to go into it but i'll jump in to the crying scene yeah um, go ahead yeah. okay cool so there's the infamous scene where 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 river phoenix balls he just lets it all go man yeah. he just balls his eyes out yeah. and uh you know it it's it's talked about because they were trying ramus was trying to get him to that point where mm-hmm. he was opening there again going back to these these adults mm-hmm. see something in this kid mm-hmm. so he's trying to get it so he tells him go reiner go. isn't it reiner reiner Ryan, i'm sorry yeah, i'm yeah. rob reiner so reiner says i want you to go away and i want you to think about a moment where an adult has let you down in your life right and so he went away conjured this up came back they did the scene killed the scene you know according to reimer and, and uh, rob reiner and everybody that's there mm-hmm. and that's it now Unfortunately, he couldn't control it beyond that. So apparently, even after that scene was done, they had to get him some counseling in order to get him calmed yeah. down again. So he tapped into something. Whatever that something is, I'm mm-hmm. sure everybody will have their own speculation yeah. on. But there is no report as to what that was. So, yeah. you know, again, I don't just don't think he's a child actor, man. I think he's no. just somebody who's got a lot of potential. And uh, but that scene there was was the, the most noted. Yeah. So for for filming of this movie, we're actually going to talk about that later. But uh, oh, cool! There's a lot of stuff there. But uh, so we're just going to go on with his mm-hmm. career here. Uh, also in '86, he plays uh, Chris Benefield, and it's another TV movie. It's called uh, Circle of Violence, a family drama, and this is about elder abuse. Also, he's not done in '86. He plays Charlie, the son of a couple Hollywood heavyweights, uh, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren, uh, in the Mosquito Coast. This is where he meets and begins a relationship with actress Martha Plimpton, who he will star again with later. So, what I took from this movie is you hate Harrison Ford. <laughs> And you would take that because with your inability to recognize classic music that has spanned the test of time, uh, you only hear what you want to hear. This is what I'm catching from this movie marathon that we did because I blew your mind. You did. And I got really, uh, for a moment there, I got really defensive. A moment? That moment lasted for about an hour and a half. I know. Well, yeah. But I mean, more of it was exaggerated. In the beginning, I was like, this motherfucker hates Han Solo. Like, what the fuck is going on here? That's not what he said, people. But still, I was uh, I, I got I got uh, Han Solo is one of my all time favorite uh, cinematic characters, and uh, Harrison Ford, as we as we discussed, uh, has a kind of special place in my life, I guess you could say, because uh, it's uh, a link to uh, my dad, uh, who is a big uh, Star Wars and Her- uh, Indiana Jones fan. So, uh, yeah, Which you I mean, actually kind of that was almost a moment of recollection. Yeah, I kind of figured that out as we were talking about it. Um, uh, my dad dressed up as uh, as Indiana Jones. He still has the hat and the whip and all that stuff. And Amazing. That. So um, the tagline for this movie is, uh, he never bargained for what he found. Now, we watched this one, and the, the reason I wanted to watch this one was because River was really upset that this movie didn't do well. And I think we went through the movies that came out in 86 and realized it was up against some stiff competition in that year that we didn't realize like big ones like Top Gun and Crocodile Dundee that ended up, I think was kind of a hit out of nowhere and some of these other movies, but, um, Platoon. 
Oh yeah, Platoon, and yeah, there was there was a lot that came yeah. out that year. So River was upset that this movie didn't do well, and for him, he quotes this as being his best performance ever. He that that was the reason I wanted to watch it because there's some other movies that come up later that fall into the category of what the critics and what everybody thinks of as his best performances. But this one, he says is his best performance. So once again, I felt like he was, I was surprised to find out he was the narrator. Mm -hmm. Uh, He narrated it, which, which his narrating skills are not great in this movie. Mm -mm. However, he, once again, he's kind of lost in the ensemble. Now, as we, we found out uh, yesterday, Harrison Ford is the greatest pointer that has ever pointed. Hands (laughs) down. And I think he does it. He has to do it in every movie. Yeah. Like he points with his whole body and he's got everything. Like, I mean, he's just the greatest actor that ever lived. And he um, is the greatest. If you don't pointer, agree you with, right. if you don't agree with that, then yeah, whatever we'll fight. No, <laughs> I don't think he's the greatest actor that ever lived, but I do. I do really like Harrison Ford. That's good. I like that you had this moment with Harrison Ford because just to clarify what I had said, that mm-hmm. is I'm not, I'm not the Harrison Ford lover that everybody else is. Right. And sometimes that, you know, a few years ago, that would have been about saying that about bill murray right right? like people go people go ballistic yeah and uh that's not to discredit him obviously i mean we we talked about this yesterday but yeah he's uh he's so iconic i think that i i tend to like yeah okay he's great but let's move on guys yeah i think for me too with harrison another thing that i thought of is as well as bill murray is is the reports of what he's like in real life i think is what also does it for me. Yeah, builds he, out the uh, the legend, right? The allure. Yeah, he's yeah. always doing crazy shit with people, and he's always really nice, and I've never yeah. really read any bad thing. And, and Harrison, who is who is self admitted, is very shy when it comes to interviews. And if you ever watch any interviews with him, he's very quiet, and he, he do, doesn't seem to be comfortable there. But he's also done some really nice things. I mean, there was a story a few years ago where he, he rescued some people in the Montana mountains because that's where he's got his his ranch, and he was flying because oh, nice. he's a pilot, uh, mm-hmm. best pilot in the galaxy, and of he. Uh, <laughs> Just but, uh, flying the Millennium Falcon around yeah, the fucking yeah. desert. Yeah, so he saved some people lost in the desert and in Montana and whatever in the mountains. Um, Amazing. But yeah, just it just oh, it was the mountains. Yeah, what's that? I, I was thinking it was the desert. Oh no, it was in the mountains of Montana. But anyway, so for me, I thought River was was pretty good in this movie. But once again, part of the ensemble. I mean, we were both taken. Uh, with uh, Harrison is really good. This is a different role from him. And, mm-hmm. and you had admitted too, that this was a different role for him. And it was, yeah, especially at that time, it's probably nothing we were used to seeing him. And obviously like he just off star Wars, like yeah. return of the Jedi was like two years before this, I think. And uh, yeah, clearly that's one of the things that he's well known for is, is Han Solo and, and Indiana Jones. But we both really were impressed with, uh, I like Helen Mirren as well. I, totally didn't realize that she was in this i i mean i know she's been around in hollywood but it's only been the last maybe like 10 15 years that i've ever actually known about her mm-hmm. smoking hot <laughs> yeah she was awesome she, she was, was good yeah and um, harrison harrison was awesome in it i really was. i was really impressed with him yeah the reason i wanted to watch this movie was uh because this is actually the role that river plays that lands him as young indiana mm-hmm. harrison ford after working with him on this film lobbied hard for him to play young Indy. Yeah. And and this it was based on this performance. Again, I go back to that theory that these adults, these people who know, these people who are amazing and actually yeah. understand talent, they're seeing something in this kid right. that supersedes what his uh his status would be as a a young heartthrob and all that. And so that's why I wanted to see it and I, and I still didn't see it. I, I was I'm watching yeah. it and I'm like I 
I mean, he's fine. He doesn't take away from the rules, speaking no. of River. But man, I just love to be in the minds of these directors and, yeah. and Hollywood superstars that see the potential. But this is what landed him in that role. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. After uh, 86 here, I guess it, it, 88 is what comes next. And this is his first. Actually, 87 comes after 86. And then 88 is after that. Just, uh, just to clarify. All right. Thanks. We are going to fight. So in 1988, he actually is the, this is his first uh, starring a title role, A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon. He, of course, plays Jimmy Reardon. Matthew Perry is in this movie, as well as Tim Curry's mom. And <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't watched this movie, go watch it, because this woman is a spitting image for Tim Curry uh, in drag. Like uh, It's unreal. Yeah. Old uh, woman drag, though. Yeah, like she nailed she nailed being Tim Curry's mom. Um, <laughs> so have it written down here in my notes, <laughs> Tim Curry's mom. I mean, I couldn't believe it. When you said that, it was yeah. like, you fucking nailed it. Yeah. Because that is Tim Curry in mm-hmm. Old Woman Drag. Old yeah. rum- woman aristocratic drag. Yeah. So the tagline for this movie is, is, he's got 24 hours to convince the one girl he really loves that he's honest, faithful, and fully committed. It's going to be a long night. And spoiler alert, he is none of those things. <laughs> nope. So... Here's the thing. I watched this movie as a kid, which I really shouldn't have. Should not have. <laughs> no. But it wasn't what I remembered. But also, I liked it. And I thought he put in a good performance in this movie. I thought that he had that swagger and confidence that now I think he's known for. I think it really kind of came out in this movie. Because obviously he's older. He looks a little more mature. But he's still playing that kind of swagger you know, suave teenager, I guess you could say almost like that, uh, like that James Dean type of that he gets compared to that kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie <laughs> takes place in the fifties, which I was really surprised to find out with because I thought it was present day. <laughs> well, present day 88. Like I thought it was, but yeah, it takes place in the fifties and, but I don't know. What did you think? Cause I thought that I thought he, this was a fun movie. I thought like, it's not horrible. I know it doesn't have very good reviews, but I didn't, really find it that bad you know what man i enjoyed it you actually had noted that this was the second movie that he was narrating in which was interesting yes right and that was a cool little point that you brought up uh his narration skills not necessarily that much better than mosquito coast in in my opinion right but that aside a hundred percent i wrote the first thing i wrote down about this was fast talker he's suave he's debonair it's interesting because he's supposed to be like a womanizer, but the women are actually taking advantage of him in this movie, which is fascinating. But this is the prime example as to the theory that I was developing with you is this guy is an adult star. Yes. And this is the reason why this performance stands out the most so far, because he's acting like an adult. He still has the sweet, innocent, you know, look about him. He has that, suave movement and and you know you can see that there's potential there he's already lost all the baby fat at this point in time but he is now becoming a teenager a smooth talking teenager and i thought it was a great performance and and i thought the movie was really fun man it reminded me of like a great gatsby like that really outgoing flowing which is obviously something that will tie into what we'll talk about later on with leo yeah but i i really enjoyed it man yeah, I yeah, I was really glad that we decided to 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 watch that one. Also, that I could find it because it's not some of these movies are not easy to find nowadays. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
It, also in 88, he stars as Jeff Grant in Little Nikita with uh, with a Hollywood legend, uh, Sidney Poitier. Um, he'll sh- share the screen with him again later as well. But uh, the tagline for this one is, uh, he went to bed an all-American kid and woke up the son of Russian spies. So that's really it for Little Nikita. You and I love movies so much that we could revisit some of these movies and, and, and watch them at a, a later later date. There is one that I really want to watch with you at some point, and we will we'll do that. So, also in '88, this is uh, this is the role, and we watched this last night too. So, this is his most acclaimed work when it comes to critics and whatnot. So, so Mosquito Coast he felt was his best work. This is this is the one that everybody else feels is his best work. He plays Danny Pope in uh, Running on Empty. Sorry, I laugh, but that's. Uh, from from a joke last night as we watched it. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, yeah, like the, yeah. just just to just to kind of summarize that joke. Basically, <laughs> if you're running since you're two years old, yeah. uh, you're gonna get tired, and mm-hmm. and so every once in a while you're running a lot. Yeah, and the next thing you know, you're empty. You're running on empty. That's <laughs> so it's golden. Yeah, you can uh, see how they came up with that title. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it seemed funnier yesterday yeah well, although it's still pretty we hilarious tired, but it was funny mm-hmm. anyway uh so he plays alongside uh judd hirsch who's phenomenal unbelievable in this movie. christine lottie like we were both just like jesus fuck look at her yeah uh but she's also uh, simply amazing uh i think uh the dinner table scene with her father you were we were both kind of just like it was unreal. Jaws agaped, and it was unreal. just like, this is phenomenal. Also, uh, Martha Plimpton again. Now, here's where he is nominated for both an Oscar and a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. I don't, he didn't win those, but he's nominated. <laughs> so, the tagline for this one basically sums up the entire fucking movie. Uh, in 1971, Arthur and Annie Pope blew up a napalm lab to protest the war. Ever since then, they have been on the run from the FBI. They choose their lives, now their son must choose his. I would like to call a time out for a moment because I have yeah. a question. Yeah. That's the tagline? Yeah. That's the synopsis to the movie. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like sometimes that's what these taglines end up being is basically just a synopsis. We've, we did it <laughs> even with, with, with Keanu. There was a couple that came up that was like, eh, that's the whole fucking movie. You don't need yeah. to watch it. Yeah. Right? Um, and I, I feel like that, that, that kind of happens uh, a lot. Now, okay. uh, we both were enamored with this movie. This was a fucking really good movie. Great. Great story. Uh, great drama. I think uh, basically everybody in this movie uh, is an amazing actor, including the uh, the ten year old that is actually uh, portr- uh, acted by an eighty year old man. Um, so, His brother yeah. looks like an old man head <laughs> on a child's body. So it's a pretty dramatic scene when you first see this kid, and uh, the first thing you said to me is, "Is that a man child?" <laughs> <laughs> So he's about, he looks like he's about four foot nothing and he runs out and I swear to God, we both thought that this, this kid (laughs) was at least a 60 year old man. Um, and then you see him up close and you're still convinced he's an old man in a child's body. His face is big and hardened. Weathered. Like he had a tough paper route. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) His hairline starts about halfway on the top Mm -hmm. of his head. Like he's got gangly arms. Yeah. This guy. Always running around in saggy underpants like an old man would. Like. And, and like an undershirt. Like this kid was, he was, he He just needed slippers. Even when he, when he, the first thing he picks up the newspapers, reading the newspaper. I'm like, he reads that newspaper like an old man. (laughs) He goes right to the area. He might've been the best actor in the movie i don't know he was pretty awesome <laughs> so uh river's performance in this i feel 
was a level up. Mm-hmm. He definitely has upped his game, and like as you as you had said, that maturity is now being shown more and more because the premise of this movie alone means he's aged more than what he actually is in the movie because he's always he's always on the run he's always looking over his shoulder and uh yeah i uh the the musician side of river shows in this one but still uh i think yeah like he he nailed for us i'm not 100 percent convinced that we feel this is his best performance but i can understand why the critics love this and why he was nominated. I don't know anything you want to add to this. Yeah, movie? a couple like, of things. Uh, so the, the first and foremost, there was a, a tidbit of information that I came across on here, which actually the, he landed in the Guinness book of world records because of his uh, role in this. Okay. Uh, him and his brother became the first brothers in history to be nominated for best actor awards. Oh. So him for running on empty and Joaquin for gladiator. Oh, and so they're in the Guinness Book of World Records for, for supporting that. roles. Yeah, well, it says best actor, so I think that the best actor, best supporting actor yeah. roles, where they kind of uh, categorize that. Yeah. But yeah, they're apparently in the Guinness Book of World Records for well, that. Well, that's that's probably something pretty cool that uh, Joaquin loves because uh, anything that I read about Joaquin is he adores his brother, he, mm. and and still to this day, um, which we'll we'll see later. So. Great movie, uh, definitely well deserved. I think the nominations. Uh, still, I, I don't think it's his best performance. But we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. One of the other things I'll add to that, just sure. before we move on, it, when you you had referenced his musical abilities, mm-hmm. he was playing piano in this, so he's yes. known as guitar, which we'll get into a little bit more later. I yeah. don't know if you were going to expand on the pianoing that piece of information we found no, out go yesterday. Ahead. Yeah. So we were wondering if he was actually playing piano because, because it looked like he was. It super looked like he, he did, a and there job. was multiple scenes. Yeah. Apparently, what he had did is he had learned how to mimic playing piano, so that way he could synchronize his finger movements oh. with the music that was playing, and that's, that's why. It looks so real yeah it probably goes to his acumen of course but he wasn't necessarily playing the pieces but Mm -hmm. he got that next step which i think would be i think if he was trained he probably would have been able to learn how to play piano no problem based on that right so it's a pretty cool piece of information yeah uh okay so here we go into 1989 now he this is his highest grossing movie ever unfortunately it's not his movie uh <laughs> it brings in 195.1 million and in 1989 that is a fuck ton of money mm. he doesn't share the screen with him but uh he is in this movie alongside your arch nemesis harrison ford uh, <laughs> as you mentioned this before he plays uh young indy in indiana jones and the last crusade this is my favorite Indiana Jones movie. Uh, it's super fun. It's, there, there's a lot to it to, to like. Also, uh, one of the greatest things is uh, Sean Connery plays uh, Indy's dad. So uh, River does share the screen with Sean Connery. I mean, he's only in the maybe the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. But I think it's this, him playing young Indy, that launches that young Indiana Jones series mm-hmm. that was on in the 90s. I don't know if it lasted a season or two seasons. It wasn't him that played young Indy in, this, in the series. But I think... Uh, this little sequence here of uh, his adventure at the beginning kind of uh, launches that young Indiana Jones mm-hmm. series to say, oh, he's he's always been an adventurer and whatnot. So obviously we could probably spend a whole talking about the Indiana Jones movies. So uh, we're, we're not really going to, um, you know what they are. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, iconic the, is what they are. Yeah, the, the, the tagline for this one is, uh, there was a few taglines. Li- tag so there's a, uh, there's two of them uh, here that I wrote because I, I like them both. The first one is have the adventure of your life, keeping up with the Joneses. 
And the next one is the man with the hat is back. And this time he's bringing his dad. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that one. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not really much more to say other than I think I pointed out to you last night. Harrison Ford has a iconic scar on his chin and they explain that. Uh, how Indiana Jones got that scar anyway with the River Phoenix opening because he uses the whip for the very first time and whips his own face and that's how he gets the scar. Yeah. Still one of my favorite movies of all time. I will watch that uh, repeat. I'm trying to uh, introduce my kids to Indiana Jones. So we will get to that one. Also in 1989, this isn't an acting thing, but I I found this interesting and I'm not sure if you came across this. He actually auditioned for a part near and dear to us, but he didn't get it. He wanted to be Bill S. Preston Esquire in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That part, of course, went to uh, Alex Winter. Uh, yeah, so his his friend Keanu, and he wanted to be in uh, Bill and Ted's. Now, what would have happened with that, you know, that role, that movie? He, he would have been around for the sequel, but that role of Bill S. Preston Esquire would have been completely different. I don't think it would have been what it is what we know it as i'm not saying it would be bad or anything i just it would be completely different phoenix is obviously a different type of actor than alex winter yeah definitely i mean based on what we were seeing and that that growth i think it probably it would have been interesting i think Mm -hmm. that role automatically brings you out of being an adult and kind of forces you into a position where you're acting like a bit of a stoner of course a skater or whatever so it would have been interesting to see what he would have done with it yeah I agree, though. I think that what Alex Winter brought, if they were going to keep the character the same, mm-hmm. would have been fascinating to see if River could have done that yeah. or what he would have done with the role. But yeah. yeah. So 1990, uh, which we kind of checked out a little clip from last night. Uh, he plays Devo in I Love You to Death alongside uh, Kevin Klein, Tracy Ullman, William, my name's not John Hurt, and a young Heather Graham who we didn't see, but uh, I'm, oh, I'm assuming she's probably really good looking. Also, his uh, real life uh, friend there, the old uh, Chuck's Benina himself, uh, Keanu Reeves. Most handsome uh, man around. Yeah, and his fucking haircut in this movie is fucking amazing. Unbelievable. So anyway, the tagline for this movie, it's not easy to murder a cheating husband, but practice makes perfect. So, <laughs> yeah. We were, it's funny because when we were looking at movies of, of Rivers, when we were going to have our river thon and we were going to watch, you kept referencing one of his movies and I was getting it confused with this movie. Right. And I was looking at this movie and I'm like, why the fuck does he want to watch this? Cause I didn't see anything in this that would make it special or want to stand out or whatever. Cause I, I think he's just part of the cast. He's not like a big star in it. So anyway, it turned out that you were talking about a completely different movie and I was getting it confused. But uh, anyway, so we did not watch this one. Maybe someday. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Now here, 1991, he's back with uh, Chuck Spadina again here. And this, if you did listen to our uh, Keanu episode, uh, then you're going to know about this movie and how we felt about this movie. If you didn't listen to it, then you fucking should. So we watched this movie right before we recorded our our Keanu episode. And uh, another one of his friends from real life is in this movie, uh, Flea from the Chili Peppers. Uh, River plays Mike Waters in My Own Private Idaho. Uh, for me, this is his best performance. I I like Running on Empty. I He was okay in the Mosquito Coast. I know he says that's his best performance. But for me, and I think, I don't know, I won't speak for you, but I, I, one thing that I can't get over in this movie is that campfire scene. I, it, it's replayed in my head I don't know how many times because it's fucking phenomenal, the whole thing. And the fact that the the director basically wrote the scene and River rewrote it. And said, this is what I want to do. And uh, there's a real reaction that you see in Keanu Reeves in this. In this, And you pointed it out, actually. I didn't catch it the first time we watched it. And we went back and watched it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a real reaction from 
from Keanu because I think uh, River rewrote this and I think the director asked him, is Keanu all right with this? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so uh, anyway, your your thoughts on uh, My Own Private Idaho again. I know we went over it in the Keanu episode, mm-hmm. but we kind of stuck to Keanu's performance. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is an example of breaking outside of just the, the suave um, demeanor that he carries with him that mm-hmm. we saw in earlier movies and started to see come out in Jimmy Reardon. Uh, that he's breaking away and he's playing a character that actually has a disability or an affliction. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so it's it's always interesting when people have to act a certain way. And he is known, I'm sure we'll get into this, but he's known as a method actor. He would lose himself in roles, yes. which we talked about in the prior episode. They did, you know, they lived with the street kids on yes. that. They really got into that lifestyle and really understood it. He he also kind of did some work in trying to understand narcolepsy and all mm-hmm. that. So it's it's fascinating because he does do it well. Yeah. I think he does it very in a very unique way, adding his own little quirks yeah. in, in the role. I, I really like him in this. Yes. I, I thought he was awesome. I thought the role was awesome. You really start to see what the whole picture of the research going into this for me is this guy is just talent. He's just art. Mm-hmm. He's very art. And yeah. and you see that in rewriting this role or rewriting this scene and in the role itself mm-hmm. that he is tapping into an artsy form that's that's on deeper levels. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say that this guy is the most deepest soul that ever right. existed, but he clearly was thinking about things. And who knows? Probably it was his upbringing, maybe a yeah. maturation before his time that allowed him to think about these things. But the role itself uh, I, I think it was fabulous and, and learning more about him as a whole. You can definitely see that th- this guy thought about things on, on a different level, like yeah. certain people that we've talked about before, like a Kurt Cobain, uh, even right. That, yeah. that kind of taps into a different level. So I really liked him in this role. Yeah. This is by far by, I think his best performance. He is nominated for a bunch of awards for this, not the big ones like the Oscars or the Globes or anything like that. But, uh, the tagline for this movie is, is I think just a great, quote all around uh it says this road will never end it probably goes all around the world i think that's mm. awesome i mean it, it it does i think he actually might say something like that at the beginning of the movie when he's when he when he wakes up and he's out in the middle of like butt fuck nowhere and he's looking down this long ass road mm-hmm. so anyway yeah that's i mean if you haven't seen my own private idaho i highly recommend it i think it's it is it's it's a great movie mm-hmm. and I'm not going to go back into Keanu, but like he fucking nails it. <laughs> so he's phenomenal. man. Yeah. So also in 91, uh, he plays Eddie Birdlace in Dogfight. Now this, I was looking at the cast for this and, uh, it's funny cause listed as sailor number one. So, you know, it's a huge role is Brandon Frazier. Oh my God. Yeah. So Brandon makes a little, uh, appearance in this one. Uh, the tagline for this movie was the rules of the dog fight were simple. Everyone puts in 50 bucks and the guy with the ugliest date wins. That basically sums up the movie. Now I feel a plot like this, not, not being made today. Not, not Not, not PC. No. And I mean, there's been forms of this before in TV shows that I've seen where the people bet and they want to bring the 
ugliest girl to the, which I, I think, think is as good as she gets was the premise of that uh, or something uh, along those lines yeah. but there was a bunch of them right yeah and yeah. i think it's 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 this day and age it's 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 horrible it may have flew back then but there's a lot of stuff that went on back then i mean i i spoke to you yesterday that there was a few movies that i've watched in the last little while that i'm just like jeez you notice stuff now that you uh that you didn't notice back then because it was so flip and so so casual like uh, uh using a certain word that uh um, that starts with an F to decide to, to describe uh, homosexuals, and it was in a lot of movies, mm-hmm. and I never picked up on it because, I mean, I'm not ashamed to admit it was definitely wrong, but we used to use that word all the time when, mm-hmm. oh, you're such a, and we'd say it to each other, not in that we didn't mean it that way, but I've stopped using it because it doesn't matter how I mean it, it's yeah. a horrible word. So, you just but, grow and you learn, right? Yeah. You, you learn what's acceptable and you learn how it affects people. Yeah. You, you learn that it's just kind of gross. And if you're not committed to it, it that and that's the that was the belief that we always had. Yeah. Is well, we don't we don't hate gay people or we no. don't hate women or anything like yeah. that. It's like, well, why would you use terms that people actually hate those groups yeah. use? And yeah. so it's just a changing and recalibrating. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I don't think that movie would be made today. I, we, I might watch this at some point just to kind of see uh, how it is and whatnot, but uh, I don't know. It wasn't on our list. I, I wasn't really interested in it. Mm-hmm. So that's 91. 92, he's in, um, uh, he's in a movie that I love. We haven't watched. I'm going to watch it with you. This is the one that I was talking about that I want to watch with you just because I'm interested to hear because we both have unique takes on, I'm not saying that we're movie elitists or anything like that, but we have u- unique takes on movies. Uh, this is a, it's just a silly, predictable, formulaic plot for me. Um, mm-hmm. He plays Carl in Sneakers. Mm. Now, listen to the cast of this movie. This is this is this is old Hollywood, really, kind of in a way. And some of these people are still around today, but uh, yeah. So Ben Kingsley, mm. fucking phenomenal actor. Now this guy, you might not recognize his name, but you definitely know the actor, uh, Denal Logue. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Trying to think of the most iconic role that you would remember him from. He is in uh, Blade. He's one of the vampires in Blade. He's the one who's actually getting a blowjob at the beginning of the movie from the two girls. The guy that the loses showers. his hand a couple yes. times. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I know yeah, him. That's, yep. yep, that's him. Mary McDonnell. Okay. She's yeah, not bad. David Strathairn. Definitely another guy that you might not know that name, but you'll definitely recognize. Dan Aykroyd. Mm. Yeah, know that name. Yeah. Uh, Sidney Poitier again. Mm. Uh, just... Yeah, if you haven't seen um, like to serve the love, to serve with love, or uh, guess who's coming to dinner, uh, or any of those uh, uh, in the heat of the night, oh, mm. they call me Mister Tibbs. Yeah, fuck, uh, that one gives me goosebumps. <laughs> so um, with a name like Poitier, yeah, you, you know that yeah. you know what you're getting immediately. Yeah, yeah. Robert Redford, wow, is in this one. Uh, and uh, have you watched any? a lot of Robert Redford or anything. Not I mean, he's in the Marvel, this MCU now. Yeah. Like, have you seen the natural? I don't think so. Oh, I watched that one day because I was just like, what the fuck is this movie always talking about? And I was three hours long and this movie came out, I think it was like in the seventies. Mm. And, uh, I sat there through the whole movie just like, wow, this, this is, yeah, it's a great movie. So there's also a surprise cameo at the end of this movie, an actor. Uh, if we're going to watch it, I'm not going to give it away unless you want me to, I don't care, but, uh, it's, 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 
a very iconic voice that shows up in this movie and uh, near and dear to us for sure. Uh, so I probably just told you exactly who it was. Uh, <laughs> James Earl Jones. hundred <laughs> percent. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's yes. not in, he's not in it very long. He does a kind of like a little surprise Speaking at the end. Speaking of James Earl Jones, yeah. I don't know if it's, it's, if it's his first role, but you know, the earliest role that I've ever seen him in Mm-mm. is the name escapes me at the moment. Sure. Fuck. Well, okay. Keep going. All right. (laughs) God damn it. So the tagline for this movie is a burglar, a spy, a fugitive, a delinquent, a hacker, and a piano teacher. And these are the good guys. So, uh, River Phoenix plays uh, the delinquent uh, out of those, those people. Amazing. Yeah. So... I like this movie. I watched it uh, when I was younger with my uh, with my mom and my stepdad, and it's just fun. I've always like it's like I said, it's very formulaic and it's kind of predictable. I don't think it did very well when it was released, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I don't. We'll check that out sometime. We'll watch that. Maybe we'll do uh, we'll do a little uh, mini sode. Uh, as the as the kids are calling them these days on a review of that movie. Mini sode is is an actual thing. Yeah, I've heard it used a few times. Okay, uh, cool. For, for podcast episodes, minisodes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, I wanted to circle back on James Earl Jones. Yeah. I, for some reason, I'm just not in the frame of mind right now. Yeah. But it was uh, Dr. Strangelove. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't I know if you've know ever he, seen he, that movie. No, I but, haven't, but I did know that he was in that. Phenomenal. Yeah. 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 So, also in 92, he's in a, um, a Red Hot Chili Peppers video as himself, uh, the song Breaking the Girl. Hmm. I do not remember this song. And I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't know if this is a controversial opinion. You can go ahead and tell me. The Chili Peppers are the most overrated, mediocre band ever. <laughs> your your hate, <laughs> I discovered. Your hate for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I only discovered a few months back. And, yeah. and I'll be honest, like I do feel that they're overplayed and, and whatever. I don't, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Chili yeah. Peppers. What I will say, though... Is in researching this, I found some footage of Flea and him jamming, Flea and River jamming. Yeah. Flea, holy fuck on he, bass. Th- Flea is phenomenal. Shit. I will not take any skills away Whew. from Flea whatsoever. God I'm damn. saying the band as of a whole. Like, and they, they have some interesting stories. Uh, uh, Anthony Kiedis, his, his life story is fucking whacked. But yeah. uh, we will not do an episode on the Chili Peppers. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> so, totally on board with yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, so here, the the next movie here. Now, this movie is a bit strange, uh, not just because of the fucking premise, but it's filmed in 92, it has a limited release in 93, and then a theatrical release in 94. Now, I've heard of movies being released this way before, because the actor who stars in it may not have been as famous, and then they get really, really famous, and then the company goes and tries to capitalize that and releases a movie that they filmed earlier. Happens all the time. Yeah, and now there's another, there is another reason, and I think, the reason this movie's released in 94 is for that reason. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, River plays Talbot Rowe in Silent Tongue. Hmm. Uh, this movie, he's cast with uh, Richard Harris, who is the original Dumbledore. Uh, also in Gladiator and that Quicksilver movie. Or no, sorry, Unforgiven. But I still can't remember Bucktooth Bob or Billet, Billet Face Bob or Bullet Face Tony. I don't know what the fuck his name is. I was fading something. at this point. Yeah, I can't remember what the fuck his name was. Anyway, and Dermot Mulrooney's also in it. The tagline for this movie is, uh, Justice Can Never Be Silenced. I'm not going to give away the premise of this movie, but I tell you, 
you don't have to watch it. Just go read what this movie's about and you'll understand why I think this is fucked up. So I had said to you, I think when I first brought this movie up, I was like, I really kind of am interested in watching it. Uh, last night when we, we did put it on and we watched the first few minutes, I, I was not interested at that moment. But I still kind of am interested in it just because of what it's about and I have a feeling it's going to be utterly horrible. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things where you really have to... It, it's it's what I used to call a two-movie night. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that you have something afterwards to buffer against it because yeah. it's going to be a movie that's not really going to make you feel good when you're watching it. Yeah. The, uh, the only reason I wanted to watch it was because of another piece of information that I shared, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Harris. Yeah. So Richard Harris, being in Gladiator and being in this, oh, marks yes. exactly him playing, him sharing an on-screen dad with his brother, Joaquin. Oh, so I thought that that, that was kind of cool. cool. I never even yeah. thought of that, but that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So also in 93, uh, and this is the one that you wanted to watch that I was getting confused with the other movies. Uh, he plays James Wright in The Thing Called Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dermot Mulroney is also in this movie. And uh, you know who else was in this movie? Tell me. Sandra Bullock. Oh, wow. Who, uh, in 1993, her career the next year is about to soar into the stratosphere because of our friend Chuck Spadina. Because yeah. gonna, she's going to star in that wonderful cinematic uh, masterpiece, Speed, uh, in 1994. The public wanted it, man. Yeah, the public fuck. wanted that movie. Yeah. So m- most importantly about this movie is uh, River's girlfriend, Samantha Mathis, mm-hmm. is in this movie with him. Now, uh, there was no tagline for this movie, which was whatever. I don't know. But anyway, so we're going to mention, we're going to talk a little bit more about Samantha Mathis in a little while. Mm-hmm. So also in 93, he is filming the movie called Dark Blood. Uh, he is cast as Boy. Uh, he stars with Judy Davis and Jonathan Price. The production of this movie is halted. And if you listen to the Keanu episode, you know exactly why. If you didn't, well, you should, first of all, go back and listen to it, like I've said before. But I'm sure you can also figure out what's coming. Uh, This movie will not be released for another 19 years. And we'll go into that uh, in a little bit. But uh, Mm -hmm. so that is his, basically, that's his acting career. That's where it ends. So going back, River from 1987 to 1992 was in a band with his sister, Rain. And uh, the name of this band is... uh, Alaka's Attic. Alaka's right? Attic, yep. Okay, perfect. Now, I didn't look into this, but you did a deep dive, so let's I hear it. Yeah, I got super excited because uh, a few days before you came down, I was uh, doing some research and I, and I found myself at Alaka's Attic and I was like, ah, I wonder what this is all about. He's just another Hollywood star coming up with a band. I had read at one point in time that he was doing things that Hollywood people are doing now before it was cool. Yeah. Right. And one of those things was starting a band. Yeah. And so he did start a band. Now, it's a misnomer somewhat that he started this with Rain. Yeah. Rain was there, but it was actually yeah. him and uh, Josh Greenbaum. Okay. Uh, Dream- Sorry. Greenbaum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they were the ones that started the band in 87, like okay. you said. And uh, I found some stuff on there. It was hard to find music of him. And, uh, and there was mm-hmm. even, it was even harder to find it was where it was his vocals. Right. And I'll get into some of the reasons why that might be. But I was curious to know what kind of a musician he he was. Mm -hmm. And the category that they fell in was more of a folk, uh, alt-rock garage band. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear those things, I think of morose. I think of drawn out. So I started listening to their music. I actually wouldn't put it at that at all. One of the reasons why I think him and Flea hit it off so well is there's a real funk vibe 
right, okay. to Alec Azadic okay. uh, music, which I really dug. Yeah. And so I found some stuff, and I got I got to be honest with you, man. We watched a bunch of his movies. We didn't watch his older stuff, but they're not really highly rated. Mm-hmm. This guy is an unbelievable musician yeah his vocals are fucking unreal really his presence on a stage i saw a couple of live things where actually plimpton introduced them oh yeah you mentioned that yeah yeah he his presence his look his his voice his guitaring this guy man i would have loved to see what he would have done with music yeah i love music and like i music to me is uh very personal and i don't usually get into um why i like something but i know with you you love music and it's a big part and 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 you you talk you're always bringing bands to me and say listen to these guys listen to these guys and you know that fucking shitty band royal blood that you brought to me i <laughs> hate that guy's fucking voice but anyway sorry if you're listening but you're probably not so fuck off <laughs> so anyway no but you're always bringing bands and i think uh, i had mentioned one to you recently i don't know if you got a chance to check them out or not so i figured when i when i got to this part and was was t- talking about river and his music i was like i don't really need to research that chris is gonna handle that so uh <laughs> because <laughs> i mean i do like it I, and, and as you can see in most of his movies that we did watch there is some sort of element for his love of music that you do see whether it's uh, the harmonica which was in like three or four of the movies that we watched yesterday also him uh rocking out on the on the blow-up guitar mm-hmm. uh playing the piano whatever it was there's always some sort of thing you could see his his love of music and and um I think that's part of his presence where he was first noticed because that's what he was doing on the streets to make money as he was performing with his sister Rain and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and the other kids as 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 they as they grew older. But yeah, so that's that's awesome. I mean, I didn't look into the band. Uh, interesting name. I don't know. Do you know where it came from? Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool name. So I, I did get enamored by that, and that's where the rabbit hole starts, right? Because mm. I'm like, okay, where? So the band started from here. What's Alec is Attic? So the first thing I read is Alica is a poet philosopher. Okay. Okay. And I'm like, okay, a poet, is he a real poet? Is he a real philosopher? No, as a matter of fact. And this, my friend, is this, is this is where River's true talent as an artist really starts to form. Yeah. He had written fiction uh, stories. Okay. And in some of his fiction stories, Alica is one of the characters. Oh, okay. So Alica's Attic... Is a is a gathering place of Alica's friends, mm-hmm. and he would have them come to his attic, and he would talk to them about his philosophies. Years later, he dies. His friends then find his work. They form a band, and they start singing the songs that Alica's Alec was singing, so they can share his thoughts with the world. Yeah. Does that not fucking blow your yeah. mind? And yeah. and apparently, according You're to Ray, right I now. dude, I know honestly, man. <laughs> I'm gonna say for people who can't see this right now, this man is lit up like a fucking Christmas tree talking about this. I'm telling you, man. Like I fucking love this because it brings yeah. in storytelling, it brings in creativity, yeah. and and the thing is, is it's fluent. Yeah. So, or it's fluid. Sorry, because what ends up happening is I read another thing from Rain, and she starts talking about Alica, and he and she says. Yeah, you know, every time he would tell the story about Alica, it would get a little bit more exacerbated. It would get a little bit more blown out because you could tell that this was an idea that River was floating in his mind. Right. And whether he identified with the character or not, it's very hard to find more information. That's pretty much all there was. But that's all you really need. Like-minded artists coming to this guy's attic, getting together as a society of artists. I fucking loved it, man. So as you're telling me about this, uh, and I would mentioned at the beginning there that I didn't like the... uh, the moniker of uh, Hollywood's Kurt Cobain. But now that 
just linked me to Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Because Kurt did a lot of stuff and he had a, an imaginary friend, Bada, who he wrote to. Um, and if anybody knows about Kurt Cobain, the infamous uh, uh, suicide note, uh, not a suicide note. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> it's addressed to Bada. And uh, so anyway, that is something that probably was floating around because Kurt was very creative uh, mm-hmm. when it came to, to to painting and art and, and some morbid stuff and uh, his lyrics and whatnot. So yeah, I, I can kind of see. So maybe I'm softening a little bit on that uh, that uh, comparison to Kurt Cobain. But uh, no, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you, you got into that deep dive and, and you listened to it. So you actually heard some of their music. Yeah, I listened to a bunch of their music. Uh, the way that I... It's kind of funny that you bring up Kurt because in one of my notes I put down... I really would have been interested to know if him and Kurt would have gotten together and done some stuff together. Yeah. Because the music, when you go on Spotify, for instance, and you go to Alakazadic Radio, mm-hmm. some of the bands that are listed in there are the Smiths. Mm-hmm. And they do have like a very 80 rock punk kind of vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Joy Division, Sonic Youth, those types of bands. And yeah. with it being in garage territory and creative Kurt Cobain really popped to my mind and I thought to myself, man, it would have been pretty awesome if they could have gotten together mm-hmm. and and done that. But yeah, I listened to a bunch of their music. It's uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say a bunch. There's only a handful that have been written uh, and released. So mm-hmm. the the status of the music at this point in time, let me give you a bit of a rundown, a little bit of a mini history. So 1989, Josh McCain, who is one of the uh, Josh McKay, who is one of the original uh, members of the band. Uh, and River had wrote a song called Across the Way, mm-hmm. and this was included on a PETA benefit album called Tame Yourself. Okay. Okay. Uh, a couple of years later, 91, Gus Van Zant, the movie that we have grown to become probably one of your and I's personal favorites, yeah. My Private Idaho. He uh, has a song, he includes a song in the movie called Too Many Colors mm-hmm. that River actually uh, performs. Okay. It wasn't included on the soundtrack, but it's in the movie. Okay. Then there's a, an album that they put together. Now, there was some interviews that were done, obviously, um, before that fateful day yeah. of what do you want to do with this band? Like, River, right. what do you want to do with this band? You're, you're a star. Like, he was right at the crest, man. Like, yeah. he was exploding, right? And so he, he was like, this is just a, a form. Like, if, if I can expand this band, if we can do some stuff with this, that's cool. And they started working on an album. They were owned by Island Records at the time, or they okay. signed a deal with Island Records, a two-year deal. Okay. They they never released the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Stipe will come up again. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, R.E.M. He actually ends up buying the rights to Alakazadic oh. uh, songs and stuff from Island Records and, and kind of owns that, cat- that catalog now. Rain has been working for years to to remaster these tracks. She's been tra- she's been gathering up information, mm-hmm. live performances, so she can put this together and release it. Unfortunately, and I don't know the particulars of this yeah. because I don't really care. A couple of the bands, the two Joshes, uh, Greenbaum and and McCain, had already signed their releases, but unfortunately, a band member who joined a little bit later, Sasa. Sasa, I don't can't remember really pronounce his last name, Raphael mm-hmm. or something along those lines, and uh, and one of the other uh, band members, they won't sign their releases. Oh, okay, and this made it very difficult. The way that it was classified when I was reading it was there was a communication problem with those two band members and the uh, the Phoenix family. Okay, Rain has gone on to uh, she has a podcast now mm-hmm. where it's an artist 
podcast and she's doing her own music she actually decides that she's going to release every two years okay uh, or every couple of years a couple of songs as she works on them okay so she ends up releasing a, an ep mm-hmm. with a track that she does with michael stipe mm-hmm. and two tracks of alec is attic oh, okay okay you can find that on spotify nice. and i'll link that to you uh, afterwards it's it's beautiful alec is attic's music is beautiful mm-hmm. I, I i really dig it um then Flea decides that he wants to get in and he wants to release some songs. So before last year, mm-hmm. what uh, August 23rd was River Phoenix's 50th birthday. Yes. So earlier last year, Flea and the and and Rain had announced that they were going to be working on some stuff so they could release in time for uh his 50th birthday. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I was having a hard time finding both the songs, but I did yeah. find the one song. So the two songs, just to take a step back, that Rain had released, one was called Where I'd Go, and the other one was Scales and Fingernails. Okay. Great, great songs, man. As I'm writing and thinking, I have these songs playing on the radio, and it was, it was really feeding my soul, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then for R- River's Birthday, a release called Alone You Elope. Okay or elope elope featuring flea on bass and dermot mulrooney oh on cello oh on cello on cello nice. so i listened to that song too beautiful nice. i mean the, the rendition of it uh rain also sings on it she she designed it uh it wasn't originally supposed to be a duet but as she was singing it and putting things together and i'm sure some people would be like oh she just wants to further her career whatever you think but she turns it into a duet it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful awesome so though, that's what ends up happening there. And for, as far as I know, she's still working on some, some more songs to be released. The statement that she had made is that she wants to make sure that they're released with the quality that River would have wanted and, and would have right. approved. I have to be honest with you, as much as his uh, acting career is there, and we, do- we dove in a little bit on that, mm-hmm. to me, once I saw, heard, and read Alec is Attic, mm-hmm. This guy is a fucking mega superstar, and you know it's 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 really it's of course goes without saying. It's unfortunate we didn't get to see more of him, mm-hmm. but the fact that there is at least a little bit of him out there, yeah, highly highly recommend. Even jump on YouTube, type in Alica's Attic, mm-hmm. and and listen to some tunes. Man, this guy has fucking talent, and cool. so yeah, that is totally fascinating for me. Awesome. All right, perfect. What I want to do now is I want to talk about. Stand by me a little bit more, because this is uh, obviously that's that's the one that that kind of launches him. A few years ago, it came out in '86. They did the uh, the 25th or the it was the 25th anniversary. I don't know. I think it was the 25th anniversary. Probably 25th, yeah. Yeah. So they did the 25th anniversary, and um, they talked to the cast. So first, we're going to talk about Corey Feldman. We we had some thoughts on Corey Feldman yesterday, where he is basically. To say, I I don't hate him. I don't, you know, not like him. I think he's fine. I, I like him mm-hmm. in a lot of the stuff that he's in. But uh, as uh, we know from Hollywood, he, he fizzles out. And I think it's because he didn't uh, grow and adapt. And he basically is that, that child star. There wasn't much for him afterwards i think um which is it was just too bad but if you know anything about the Corey feldman uh story uh then you know what's going on with him but he might also get an episode on this but it'll probably be a, a two Corey's episode we'll get into him and, and haim mm-hmm. but uh so anyway Corey feldman says this is where 
he lost uh, where Phoenix lost his virginity uh, the first time they 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 smoked the dreaded marijuana mm. the first time they uh, they, they did that. Corey says there's a lot of firsts that happen for for him and uh, River on this movie they became friends and very close uh, very close friends while filming this movie he says that uh, all River would talk about when they were when they were not filming was was sex but <laughs> he's a 15 year old boy of course that's what he's talking about that's what they're all talking about so I don't. I don't think that there's. He was trying to say that oh he was addicted to sex too or whatever. No, he was a 15 year old boy. Yeah. Uh, if you've been probably not even just a 15 year old boy. If you've been 15 years old, your your hormones are flying everywhere. So yeah, you're you're fucking talking about it and whatever. Mm-hmm. So he does tell a story here. River was interested in an older teenage girl at the time, and uh, she wanted to have sex with him. So River, according to Feldman went to his parents and asked for their permission if he could have sex with this girl, which uh, they granted, I guess, because he uh, set up a tent in the backyard of the house they were renting and decorated it all up to get the right mood. Wow. So I'm assuming he, uh, this is, this is the girl. This is where he lost his virginity. All right. Yeah. Um, So they did some. He's very respectful. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we kind of saw that in Running on Empty, where his dad's talking to him if he's asking if he's sleeping with her. Yeah. And he doesn't lie. Yep. Yeah, and he's like, okay, good. Well, and I mean, <laughs> so, you know, say what you will about the cult angle, right? But mm-hmm. obviously, with him dealing with things in his head a certain way for mm-hmm. whatever reason, yep. he was able to uh, get a comfort level with that with that sexual component. Which God bless him for for that. Yeah, and by God, I just mean whatever you believe in. Yeah. There's uh, there's a lot of interviews, and if you want more information uh, on this movie, you can you can find this online. But I'm going to talk a couple things here about what each of them said. So he had a different relationship with each of the child stars. So uh, Feldman's really upset that him and River didn't stay friends afterwards. Hmm. Uh, he really regrets that to this day. Jerry O'Connell. Now, this is funny because Jerry O'Connell. From what I picture of Jerry O'Connell like in his in his real life, this is this is it really. He just seems utterly happy, and and uh, so he says his best memory was all of them uh, lighting off fireworks together because where they filmed in Oregon, Oregon, it was it was legal. So they got like a buttload of fireworks, like this big trunk load of fireworks, and they just lit them all off. And he says they lit up the sky, and it was uh, it was awesome. He loved it. Uh, he loved every minute. He said it was it was awesome with his with River and with Will and and Corey. And he said this the one, his best memory of River Phoenix is doing this, which is funny because his wife. She's on. She was on the show The Librarians at mm. the time, and it was filmed in Oregon. So they were in Oregon. So he said he kept this tradition up to this day, where him and his kids and his wife they get a buttload of fireworks in the trunk and they go up and they just light them all off because he he wants to recapture that feeling of the best time, which he feels is one of the best days of his life. Wow! So he still does that to this day as a tradition, and that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and he sees that as a. He didn't really mention it, but I think it's kind of a tribute to his uh to his friend there from the movie mm-hmm. now will wheaton who was the youngest he tells a story about uh kiefer kiefer sutherland and uh, this is where he knew that river was a phenomenal actor and he was dedicated to to his craft and he's at 15 years old and this is what uh will talks about now we watched it and i said i pointed out the scene i said this is the scene and it's uh where he gets him down on the pavement and he holds a cigarette to his face so apparently while they were filming it, Kiefer, it was an actual lit cigarette and Kiefer wouldn't get it that close to his face. And, and River wanted this to look real. So he said to Kiefer, closer, closer, get it closer. I trust you. I want to use this fear. 
Hmm. So uh, Will says he remembers that sticks out to him because he's like, what the fuck? And he was using it. And, and, and when you watch the movie, he does get pretty close to his face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's what Will Wheaton remembers. And he wanted it to be the scene to be very authentic. And he wanted it. And, and I mean, say what you will about his acting in this movie or whatever, but that is a pretty... Well, it's admirable, well especially if, yeah. if he's if he's committing to it. Yeah. Abilities aside, mm-hmm. to to take that next step is obviously what Will Wheaton is blown blown away by, right? Yeah. Because when you said that to me yesterday, I was like, I don't understand why it's not that impactful. Yeah. But to have the information makes a mm-hmm. lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a little bit. I mean, there's there's tons of stuff out there on the on the on the reunion, the the remembering of Stand by Me and whatnot. And these guys have a lot of of wonderful things to say about River. And mm-hmm. uh, if you want more information, I'm sure you, you you can find that. I didn't really want to go into much of it. Uh, moving on with some more of his personal stuff, we mentioned at the beginning him being referred to as the vegan James Dean. So yes, he was a vegan. He was a very proud supporter of PETA. Uh, there's even this is a story about him and Martha Plimpton. So they went to a restaurant. They ordered seafood, and with that, apparently River ran out of the restaurant crying uh, because she ordered the seafood. Like he was so against the abuse of animals, and there's a lot of quotes you can find from River about animals and about uh, their abuse and 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 how humans should treat animals. Um, but I, I read a few things that was like it was in his contracts that uh, he would not wear any clothes that were made from animals in mm-hmm. any way. So. Any of the belts that you see are not leather. They've got to be fake. He wouldn't wear leather shoes. He wouldn't wear leather belts. He wouldn't, nothing. Because he, 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 so against animal abuse, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we did the, the Keanu episode, we really dove into a Hawaiian Canadian themed eating weekend. Uh, we kind of went in opposite direction with this, where River would be really angry with us because we ate all meat. <laughs> Well, you made that comment yesterday when we were ordering meat. Yeah, and I was like, you know, we could have went with the vegan angle, but I really didn't want to eat grass all fucking weekend. And to each their I, own. Yeah, man, you want to be a vegan, more power to you. I don't judge you, just as I'm hoping people don't judge me. I, I get it, it makes people angry, but whatever. Just to add to to the activism component for, yeah, for, sure. for one moment, it, the, one of the things that I wanted to say is apparently he had bought 800 acres of land in Costa Rica. Okay. So people couldn't develop on it awesome. just bought it uh, i didn't look into it any further so i don't know what the status of that was is now but that is apparently something that took place before oh that's yeah. awesome yeah okay so his his drug use we're gonna get into i mean i just mentioned that he started smoking he tried marijuana for the first time on stand by me says so drug use i've struggled with this topic part of it because i really wanted to get into it but then at the same time i didn't so his drug use is becoming well known to the point where, uh, while filming Sneakers, Dan Aykroyd tried to steer River away from drugs. Uh, their relationship was an interesting one. Uh, they were off. They were very close uh, during the filming, and because of Aykroyd's history with uh, Belushi, he wanted to help River. So I think that's um, why he was kind of taking that 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 father figure type role and trying to steer him away. Uh, there's there's lots of quotes and, and lots of stuff about. How River changed throughout those. I mean, his his brief career from from basically eighty five to to ninety three. How he changed in those years. People had said the 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 movie sneakers. I know you haven't seen it, but what they do with the credits is they make anagrams out of the uh, the actors' names. Whatever Robert Redford's name would be a couple other words, and then they rearrange it to show it says Robert Redford. Now they only did it with a few actors. They don't do it with River's name. However. If they had, one of the anagrams that comes up is Viper Heroin X. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so I mean, the Viper room is pretty fucking huge, as we're going to find out. And so, how, how, how much did people have to extrapolate the data in order to actually oh, make that work? I have no idea, right? <laughs> like, it just not, not to shit on people's parades no, and conspiracy know, theories yeah. and coincidences. But I just think it's cool that, like, it's neat that you can cool, get, but you know what I mean. Like, it's 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 a little bit it's a little bit out there, right? A little bit, yeah, yeah, surreal. So, like I said, I kind of thought about going over his his drug use in depth but i'm not gonna mm-hmm. for such a long time drug users are vilified uh, they're thought of as junkies and i'm not gonna do that with him addiction is a sickness i've had addiction problems i've had mental health issues so maybe i look at it differently than other people i don't know mm-hmm. uh but uh he had mental health issues and he had a drug addiction and i do not vilify him for that. i think at the time in the in the early 90s and we'll definitely get into that on the Kurt Cobain episode, he's referred to as a junkie, but he had an addiction. Um, addiction is uh, a disease. And uh, I get get it, people don't see that. Oh, you choose to... Yeah, maybe so, but there's a reason. So if any of you out there that are listening right now, um, if you've had these issues, if you, I suggest you reach out for help. Uh, it's treatable, it's beatable. Uh, you'll never be a non-addict. I know I'm never a non-addict. I'm always an addict. It's not just drugs. It's all sorts of things. It's food, sex, fucking spending. It's whatever. If it's hurting your life in any way, there is support out there for you. So I suggest reach out to somebody, and see what you can do. Uh, so I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna vilify him. Not at all. Sorry, getting a little no, <laughs> worked no. up about that. Totally um, fair. I think. I think it was cool you mentioned that thought to me last night yeah. about how people who who are into drugs or end up succumbing to drugs of, mm-hmm. of some, in some way, shape or form are automatically viewed as deviants mm-hmm. and, and maladapted and people who, uh, who have made a choice and listen, everybody makes choices mm-hmm. and everybody fucks up in life. It's yep. really the only way that we grow the benefit between somebody like you, as opposed to somebody like river is that you learned from it mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to. No. And and so that's what ends up happening in my mind with a lot of addicts is it's, it's a matter of uh, time and opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's a cool idea. I, I agree with you. Being somebody who doesn't really deem himself as an addict of any mm-hmm. kind, uh, I I liked the fact that you had said you didn't want to harp on that mm-hmm. and, and deem it as this guy is just somebody who is out there and is living the life of a Hollywood star yeah. and taking advantage of all these things. And he fucked up. So he deserved what he got yeah. because a lot of the stuff that I was reading is actually kind of contradictory, contradictory yeah. to that. So it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. So unless you've got anything else, we're going to go on to the famous night. If that's well, one of the things that I'll, I'll throw that. in a couple little tidbits just For before sure. we get serious uh, on this, that I thought was kind of neat that, uh, he was actually a major investor in the House of Blues. Okay. Yeah, yep. which is a venue, uh, a blues venue that was started by Dan Aykroyd. Nice. Uh, so he he was an early investor on that. That was really the only other thing. Like, we'll probably get into the other stuff along the way as we go. But yep. I thought that that was kind of neat and, uh, and really speaks to his love for music as well. So right. let's, uh, let's get into the heavy shit. Okay. So... We touched a little bit on it in the Keanu episode, but I didn't give much detail because I didn't really want to get into it there. Uh, that's the whole reason why we're doing this episode. So on October 30th, 1993, River would meet his girlfriend, Samantha, his brother, Joaquim, and sister, Rain, at the Viper Room on the Sunset Strip. This is a pretty famous place at the time for young Hollywood. Uh, they hung out there. Uh, it was co-owned by Johnny Depp, a uh, huge megastar. 
Now, there's a couple versions of the events that take place on this night, um, and I think you have Samantha's version. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to go over that in a minute. I'm going to give you Bob Forrest's account, and Bob Forrest is uh, he was a musician and he was a friend of River as well as the Chili Peppers. Uh, he wrote a memoir called "Running with Monsters" in in 2013, and th- that's where this uh, account of the night comes from. So. Here we go. On the evening of October 30th, 1993, Phoenix was to perform with the band P. Now, I don't you, you said you didn't look into these guys, but there's some pretty interesting members of this band. So it featured his friends Flea, John Frusciante from the Peppers, uh, actor Johnny Depp, Gibby Hayes from the Butthole Surfers, along with Al Jorgensen of Ministry. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So they're all in this band P. Uh, they're performing at, um, at the Viper Room, as we said. Uh, Forrest claims that Phoenix and Frashanti arrived at the club together. Um, now, there's reports that uh, Phoenix was already high when he got there. He was on something when he got there. Uh, they would meet uh, Phoenix's girlfriend, Manthus, the brother, and uh, and Rain, um, along with uh, Flea and Depp. Now, when they sat down, this is all from Bob Forrest's system. They sat down, somebody broke out the coke immediately and passed it around. River was obviously wasted and was unsteady as a boxer who had just taken too many headshots during a 15-round bout. This is, um, his complete lack of motor skills made me think he was drunk. Heroin will make u- users lean when they stand still, but you almost never see them stumble and fall. During the performance by P, Bob says they that... The band P, they were always fun to watch, and tonight they played really well. It was great fun until I felt a hand tap me on my shoulder and I turned to see River. He was a whiter shade of pale. He says, Bob, I don't feel so good. I think I'm ODing. Forrest was doubtful that Phoenix was overdosing until usually, as you're, he goes, usually as you're, you're ODing, that's it. But he offered Phoenix a ride home. Uh, the actor declined, saying he was feeling better. Uh, Bob tried to reassure him. He said, I don't think you're ODing. You can still stand and talk. He goes, I still have, I still have guilt to this day for dismissing his worry so casually. A few moments later, Forrest said that a commotion erupted in the club and he went outside to find Mathis screaming as her boyfriend was laying on the sidewalk having convulsions. Joaquin called 911 but was unable to determine whether River was breathing or not. His sister Rain proceeded to give him mouth to mouth. Bob says he was alive because his arms and legs were shaking and he was having, it looked like he was having an epileptic fit. Forrest admits that in his book that his concern for Phoenix's well-being at the time was tempered by his own sense of self-preservation. Um, as an addict who traveled in a circle of other drug users, Forrest writes that he was concerned that the publicity from the event could draw legal heat to himself and his peers. And I'm, I'm sure at that not, at that moment he's not thinking what's about to happen is going to happen. So he goes, I felt offer, awful that River had collapsed. I may have been a junkie, but I was human and I had empathy and concern for my friend, but I was also fearful for the rest of us and we could be hauled in for questioning. When the ambulance arrived, Phoenix was still alive and Flea went with him to Cedar sinai Medical Center. Forrest uh, arrived at the hospital later and he saw Mathis standing in the hallway crying. Uh, Further attempts to resuscitate Phoenix at the hospital were unsuccessful. He was pronounced dead at 1.51 a.m., on the morning of October 31st, 1993, at the age of 23. Mm -hmm. Now, what this account doesn't mention, and we talked about it last night, is the infamous Little Blue Cup. Now, Mm -hmm. it's there's a lot of different stories, and this is one of them. It says, a rock star 
approached their table, offered River a little plastic blue cup and said, drink this, Riv, it'll make you feel fabulous. River drank it down and suffered an immediate reaction. His neck bulged, his back twitched, and he complained, something's wrong, and then he threw up on the table. I've mm. read a couple names that are saying that they handed out the uh, little blue cup. And, and I have them written down here, but you know what? I'm not going to fucking mention who, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not going to mention all those names. It's never been confirmed. And my theory on this is they know exactly who gave him the cup, but it's kind of, like he said, a self-preservation thing. So there's going to be a whole bunch of names that possibly gave it out to, because this might be linked back. So mm-hmm. on November 15th, 1993, the autopsy found that toxicology studies showed high concentrations of morphine, which is the heroin, and cocaine in the blood, as well as other substances in smaller concentrations. The cause of death death was acute multiple drug intoxication, including cocaine and morphine. No foul play was suspected. I looked at the uh, coroner's report, and uh, it says there's no injection points there's no none of that so that means it was either inhaled or ingested so that goes along with the little blue cup theory that he drank it and that's mm-hmm. how it got into his system mm-hmm. a couple of the other drugs that they found in his system was valium uh, marijuana and a couple other smaller things in smaller doses so that goes to that he was high when he already got to the club mm-hmm. um, there was some other stuff and the cocaine they said was passed out there uh, i've heard so many different accounts of this night i remember hearing one that it all took place in the bathroom and it was he was in the bathroom that no nobody knew who he was in there with and somebody gave him the drugs in the bathroom and he did them in the bathroom but like this one says like they did it right out in the open Mm -hmm. and i feel that's probably more more accurate as to the time in hollywood of what was going on with these young guys this was depp's club they weren't scared of anything right so i'll let you go in with samantha uh, in here in a minute i'm just going to read um on november 24th 1993 heart phoenix his mother published an open letter to the Los Angeles Times, and this is what it says. His friends, co-workers, and the rest of our family know that River was not a regular drug user. He lived at home in Florida with us and was almost never a part of the club scene in Los Angeles. He had just arrived in L.A. from the pristine beauty and quietness of Utah where he was filming for six weeks. We feel that the excitement and energy of the Halloween nightclub and party scene were way beyond his usual experience and control. How many other beautiful young souls who remain anonymous to us have died by using drugs recreationally? It is my prayer that rivers leaving in this way will focus the attention of the world on how painfully the spirits of his generation are being worn down. River made such a big impression during his life on earth, he found his voice and found his place. And even River, who had the whole world at his fingertips to listen, felt deep frustration that no one heard. What is it going to take? Chernobyl wasn't enough. Exxon Valdez wasn't enough. A bloody war over oil wasn't enough. If River's passing opens our global hearts, then I say thanks, dear beloved son, for yet another gift to all of us. Hmm. So before we move on with some uh, dedications and whatnot, I know if you wanted to talk about Samantha. Yeah, so Samantha Mathis was is kind of absent in in a lot of the reporting, and uh, so there was uh, there was an article that was written about her with her, and uh, just talking about that night, uh, she she kind of openly admits that she's never really talked about this, and she she kind of uh, jokingly says, except for my, with my therapist. Mm-hmm. So she she's clearly didn't seem to me like Mathis is out there trying to capitalize. Right. Uh, that's a beautiful quote from River's mother. Mm-hmm. 
who knows what agenda, if there is any at all that's involved with that. But the Mathis thing I found was interesting because she kind of recounts that night and the way that I'm going to do some quoting here from this article. Mm. Uh, and so, the, you know, they, Mathis uh, said that they were going to drop by the, the, the Viper room. And she thought that they were only there to drop off his, his little brother, Joaquin, and his sister, which I believe was Rain. Is yes. that his? Okay. Yep. And so Rain. And uh, she says, quote, uh, but when we arrived, he said to me, there's some people that are going to play tonight in the club and they want me to play with them. Is that okay? And she was a little surprised because she didn't think that they were going to be staying, but uh, yeah. they did. Now, she said she does recount that he was high. So she confirms that he was high when they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said they got there and unfortunately, 40, 40 minutes, he was dead. 40 minutes later, he was dead. Yeah. So that was according to her. So now some of the things that I found interesting that I was reading, and I don't know any of this conspiracy theories at all, Mm -hmm. even the little blue cup that you were talking to me about yesterday, but there was something that did jump out to me when she was recounting that night. So she had said that Phoenix, Phoenix and her arrive at the Viper room. And she says, quote, I knew he was high that night, but the heroin that killed him didn't happen until he got to the Viper room. I have my suspicions on what happened there, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that right now. According to Mathis, when she came out of the bathroom, she saw River in a scuffle with another man. Yeah. And the two of them were pushed outside by a bouncer. When she got out to the street, she saw that Phoenix had dropped to the ground and he had gone into convulsions at that point in time. Hopefully she said thankfully there was no paparazzi around at this point. Uh, or this would have gotten way oh, out of control. Yeah. She got to the spot where the man and Phoenix were, and she screamed to, to River, what are you doing? What are you on? And the man says, leave him alone. You're spoiling his high. So yeah, I, I thought I that, that was pretty fascinating, right? Like I it's like, that, wow, yeah. that's a firsthand account. Now, unfortunately, you do get the the call, as you said, from Joaquin to to uh, 911 or to, to emergency that got leaked by a national Enquirer, yeah. and that was played, you know, all yeah. over the place. Uh, we had talked about that at certain points of time. So, you know, there, she has questions there and, and those questions to me kind of led into this conspiracy theory mm-hmm. is this doesn't seem like a woman who's trying to capitalize. This no. is a woman who seems like she's actually tried to deal with this loss. Yeah. Uh, as you had mentioned before, I kind of wanted to watch a thing called love because that's where they had met. And their story yeah. goes back to when she was 19 yeah. and they met at a club together. Yeah. And she says that she felt at that point in time that they were going to be together uh, three years later, they do a thing called love and they develop a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then she's the girlfriend at the, at the, at the end mm-hmm. um, when he passes. Now, I know that you had mentioned before about Plimpton and, and mentioning that she might've been, you know, involved as being a, a somebody who was kind of an eating enabler, yeah. an enabler. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I don't know if that's the case at all, but I just thought it was, it was pretty interesting to get, Somebody who's clearly out of the limelight's view. Yeah. And it does raise some interesting questions, but not super conspiratorial. Seemed like it was pretty backed up. The other thing I wanted to add to your uh, your report of Bob Frost. Uh, Bob Frost? Forrest. Yep. In his book, he, he, goes, he gives a rundown as to what the day looked like for uh, uh, John, uh, for uh, how do you pronounce his name? For uh, John Frusciante. Frusciante, thank yep. you. John Frusciante and River Phoenix's ex- exploits. 
stay up with John for the next few days and probably got not a minute sleep. The drug routine stayed pretty consistent for all. First, smoke crack or shoot coke directly into the vein for 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. Electrify the brain. Then shoot heroin to get a grasp and come down enough so you can carry on a conversation for a few minutes before you begin this cycle again. And yeah. listen, I mean, you can go through Hollywood, you can go through bands, you can go through actors, and I'm sure that they had their regimes, but holy fuck, mm-hmm. there's not a body that's going to be able to last very long if you're doing no. that, even even if it isn't consistent. And this was the funny thing, because Mathis and, and, and him, when they were filming, they had spent a summer with Dan Aykroyd at his home. Yeah. And... Mathis complain. Mathis contends somewhat like what the mother does yeah. is that he's not like a hardcore drug user. She doesn't yeah. paint him this way, yeah. right? And I think it also ties into what you're saying before about villainizing people who yeah. use drugs just because he ODs doesn't mean that this guy was self destructive. We talked about the cult. We talked about the you know having to care for his father and his family. Yep. He apparently was one of these actors that was just going to do one more film so he could sock away money so that way his sister could go to college. Yeah. He was a vegan. He was an activist. You know, he believed about the the environment. Whether this guy is a self-destructive hardcore drug addict or not, I don't think he is. I feel there's more evidence to support the fact that this guy just did something one time. And like drugs do, they take over your body and they take over your system and they start calling the shots, Yeah. right? And it's it's really unfortunate. So I'm not going to claim this guy wasn't using drugs, yeah. but I'm also not willing to say that this guy is self-destructive and wanted to die. Yeah. It seemed to me like he had a lot to live for. So yeah. I don't know, man. That's that's what I kind of got and that's my two cents um, yeah. as, to, as to who he was. Yeah. So... Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, um, after his after his passing, uh, and his connection to the music scene and a lot of his fame, famous friends, a lot. There is so many, and I'm not going to mention them all, but there's so many dedications, uh, so many um, in memoriam songs and 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 whatnot written for him. So I'm going to mention a few though. REM dedicated their album Monster to River. Uh, that was the Mike, Michael Stipe and REM there. I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I called you when this happened. I'm going to talk about this crazy experience that I had. So before he actually passed away in 1991, the song uh, from the Chili Peppers, Give It Away, came out. And there's a lyric in that song that is actually dedicated to River. Uh, now, he was still alive, but this goes to the friendship between Flea and and, and, and Frusciante and whatever. So there's a ly- lyric in this song that is, um, there's a river born to be a giver, keep you worn, warm, won't let you shiver, his heart is never going to wither. Now they uh, they say that's directly River Phoenix. That's a little thing to River Phoenix. Now this <laughs> so uh, this is a weird little thing for me because I was researching this a couple weeks ago and going through, and I just read this part about the song, and I had stopped what I was doing. I had to go pick my kids up from school. I was doing some stuff around around the house, and this is about an hour and a half later. I went out and got into my car. And as I turn on the radio, it's just a radio station, not anything I had preset or anything like that uh, out of uh, out of Detroit. And I'm driving and I start to realize that the song Give It Away is on the radio. And as I clue in to what I'm listening to, that fucking lyric exactly hits. And I was just like, 
I had never heard that lyric before or paid attention to that lyric before I read it that day. Now, I drove to the school, I parked, and I immediately FaceTimed you. (laughs) (laughs) And I had said to you, I'm like, what the fuck? And I went through this thing and I'm like, Jesus, like, I don't, I don't know. What I believe and what I don't believe, whatever, I'm not going to get into that, but this is funny. I, I called you and I said, you was like, fuck dude, I got to tell you before I forget. This is, this is crazy. Like I didn't walk out and get into the car immediately after I read it. This was an hour and a half later. That song could have been on that fucking radio station at any point, but I go out and get in the car and that song is literally on the fucking radio. And as soon as I realize what I'm listening to, I hear that lyric clear as a bell. So I don't, I don't know. So anyway, I tell you about it. I'm like, I don't know. I was going to tell my wife, but I'm not sure how she'll probably just be like, you're fucking weird or whatever. But anyway, I did end up telling Rosie and she stopped dead, dead faced and looked at me and she goes, well, you're meant to do this episode. <laughs> nice. And that was it. And I was just like, <laughs> like, but it was so, it blew my mind because I mean, you told me what you told me that day when I told you, but like. I don't know. That was a fucking, that was an experience for me, man. Yeah. yeah like, you, I think you could see it in my FaceTime when I called you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you were beside yourself. I actually thought you saw a ghost, which was interesting. <laughs> and and I was like, yeah, you know that it's coincidences are, are amazing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the experience of going through it and, you know, it, hearing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And and I had said to you, yeah, there's a couple of different ways I could go with this. I could actually yeah. try to explain it to you or yeah. I could just let you feel it. Yeah. And I think I did both. But yeah, yeah of course, you, you know, you it gets brought to your attention that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to add to that, if I might yeah. with the chili peppers, I had read as well that um, the song transcending yeah. was actually a tribute to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So you were probably just going to get into this and no, hijacked it's fine. Go it. Ahead. But fine. W- the thing that I liked is that flea had wrote the lyrics smartest motherfucker I ever met. And I called you a hippie and you said, fuck off. And that was the <laughs> lyrics that he wrote in those songs that, yeah. that are that song there, which was cool because you had told me about the first part. And then I had read that. I was like, yeah, I mean, clearly this guy and, and you know, Stipe as well. Um, yeah. Just to kind of elaborate on that point for one second, Stipe has Stipe recounted what his relationship was to him. He felt like an older brother to him. He was mm-hmm. 10 years difference. He, uh, River was 10 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before they were about to commence the writing of, of Monster as when Phoenix passed away. Right. And he, it, four to six months is the reports that I read that Stipe just couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And so they dedicate the album to him. And then just before the album gets released, who passes away? Kurt Cobain. So yeah. he, he's like, like Stipe is like, what the fuck? Yeah, right. Stipe had a relationship with Cobain as well. Yeah, uh, and it's it's uh, yeah, it's another big one. But yeah, that that song you're just talking, transcending. The original name of it was River. They oh, interesting. It transcending. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, from what I read, um, it's about Flea and John Frusciante's relationship with them. And I think they wrote part of the song before he died, and then they wrote the end of the song after he died. Oh, fascinating. Like it's, yeah, it's uh, it's something. So back to to Kurt here during performances on November 13th, 15th, uh, 93 and January 7th and February 12th of 94, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana dedicated the song Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam uh, to River Phoenix mm. in uh, live performances. Um as we mentioned before, uh the filming of uh, Dark Blood was halted when he died. That's where he was in Utah. That's what he was filming in Utah. Uh, the director George Sl- yeah that guy uh he <laughs> good old george Sloot. he put the movie away until 2012 when he finished it by narrating the parts that were not completed he asked members of the phoenix family to help and maybe stand in and do stuff and they the entire family declined said no thank you Just couldn't they were, do it they were not interested hmm. 
some projects that uh, River was slated for, and I'm sure you mm. have uh, some stuff on these. Um, obviously, the the most famous one, uh, I think, uh, is 1994's Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. So he was slated for the role that Christian Slater took over. And what's funny about that is River, in his own words, was uh, mistaken for Christian Slater a lot in public. Really? Yeah, and uh, people would ask him where his skateboard was and all this kind of <laughs> shit because Slater did that fucking skateboarding movie or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So anyway, uh, Christian Slater took over the role. Uh, Slater donated his entire salary to uh, River's favorite uh, charities, uh, Earth Save and Earth Trust. And uh, I think you have something on the the dedications of the movie and whatnot. Or oh, we the, talked j- about it like it was at the end of the movie. They dedicated it. I don't think I got that. I, oh, okay. I had just got the salary. Yeah, two hundred oh, okay. fifty thousand. That yeah. was uh, yeah. That was okay. Yeah, was at the demanding. end of the movie, I guess after the credits, uh, there's a dedication to River Phoenix. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you said it was oh, listed. Oh, I'm in his sorry. IMDb. It was in his IMDb. Yeah. yeah, it's it's listed as mentions. Thank thank yous. Yes. It's under the thank yous category oh, okay. because when I was looking at his IMDb, I'm like, I know he was slated to do that, but that's yeah. weird. And then you had you had asked that. You're absolutely right, sir. Yeah. That's fine. He was also slated to star in Safe Passage with uh, Susan Sarandon. That role eventually went to Sean Astin. He was set to star in Broken Dreams, Mm -hmm. which uh, went on hold until 2012 because of Phoenix Death. Uh, The role went to Caleb Landry Jones, which I recognize him, but uh, um, I I don't really know who the fuck he is. Mm -hmm. Also, Gus Van Sant, who did uh, My Own Private Idaho, uh, had River agreed to play Cleve Jones in Milk. Um, that role eventually mm. went to Emil Hirsch, mm-hmm. um, and it was later on. Van Zant also wanted um, uh, River to play a young Andy Warhol in a biopic because if you do look at some young pictures of Andy Warhol, there is a similarity mm. in their in their images. And then another big one, and this is where I think you're going to get into some stuff here. River was set to play the lead in 1995's Basketball Diaries. Uh, the role went to Leonardo DiCaprio. This is a movie about basketball players addicted to heroin, I believe, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think you had, did you have something on this? Yeah. So yeah. there was three and the, the categorization of these is important. I think the wording is important. He was attached to be the lead in Basketball Diaries, like you said. So mm-hmm. that was pretty much a done deal. Expressed interest in becoming, uh, in, in becoming involved with Total Eclipse. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the third one was Sought After by James Cameron for Titanic. Oh, yeah. So those are three Leo roles. We kind of had a discussion yesterday. Yeah, a little conspiracy theory last night. That yeah. <laughs> in no fucking way is true, but we had a little fun with it as to that fucking Leo had him killed and that, or he was fucking Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and he yeah. wanted to, whatever. But I mean, we don't, obviously we don't believe that he fucking had River Phoenix killed, but no, I mean, it had River not died, would these Leo roles have existed? That's what, I mean, you can see, like we've talked numerous, the maturity that was happening with River phoenix as he was going along there was a lot that was uh that was that was gonna happen and 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 this leads me to a a statement that i wanted to to make to you and you can tell me whether i'm completely out but out of my mind but this is i read a lot about talent wasted with him and his death Mm -hmm. like farley cobain candy shannon hoon lane staley amy winehouse john belushi heath ledger tupac biggie the fucking list goes on with young people that are taken from us early. I don't like the moniker of talent wasted because Mm -hmm. I don't think they wasted their talent. They did not waste it. They used it while they were here. The way I look at it is talent lost. So you hear that a lot with young stars that pass. Not even just young stars, young people in, 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 
everyday life. Mm-hmm. They always say, oh, what a talent wasted. What a talent wasted. No, it's not wasted. He did what he did with his talent while he was here. And, and, and like you said, you found out something that really you really connected with, with that you didn't know before, and that's the band and the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, he was a, f- a phenomenal talent that way. Well, and, and I totally agree. The reason I chose my words very specifically when I said that uh, it, it's disappointing to see, you know, that there wasn't as much. I didn't decide to do that. I, I was I, I was very specific in saying, go yeah. out there and listen to the stuff he did. Yeah. Yes, it might be a handful of songs, and there might only be a handful of decent movies that this mm-hmm. guy did. But I think that if you put it all together, it's it's amazing to be able to get an idea as to why this guy was so sought after and why this guy was held in such high regard. Because yeah. before doing this episode, I didn't know why he was held in such yeah. high regard. And now I feel I'm a little bit closer. So I totally agree with you. There's no point in living in that negativity. Yeah. The fact is he did do stuff. And whether one would have happened without the other in terms of tying it back to Leo... It's almost irrelevant. It's yeah. 100% irrelevant, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's hard not to watch him in those movies and see the Leo comparison and see how Leo was inspired by him. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that are inspired by people that are still around today. So, yeah. like, you know, one or the other doesn't matter. But no. I totally agree with you, man. Like, it's yeah. not, it's not, lo- it's, it's just, I've always said that with artists that we have lost. Would have been interesting to see what they would have done. Mm -hmm. You know, Jimi Hendrix always jumps to mind for me because Jimi Hendrix was on the cusp of taking his music and going full disco. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that always blows my mind when I hear like people close to his camp talking about that. So it would be interesting to see what these people would have done. But Mm -hmm. hey, stop for a moment because they actually did do some stuff. So listen to that and watch that, right? Yeah. As you were, you were kind of talking that it's, it's similar to, and you were talking about Jimi Hendrix. It's similar to to Kurt Cobain in a way that um, when you listen to the song that was released like 10 to 15 years after Kurt died, uh, you know, you're right. And you listen to the the direction that it seemed Nirvana was going in. Mm -hmm. It it does. You're just like, fuck, Mm -hmm. I wish I could have got more of that. You know what I mean? But Yeah. yeah. So and this is this leads me to why one of the the reasons that River is not uh, iconicized. Is mm-hmm. that a word? Sure, okay. it is now. All right, perfect. Uh, is because only and this is crazy to me because it doesn't seem like it was this close, but only five minute, five months, five minutes, <laughs> five months after River dies, one of the biggest rock stars in the world is found in a room above a garage in Seattle with an alleged self inflicted gunshot wound to the head. <laughs> murdered um we'll, t- we'll talk about that another time uh that of course is kurt cobain of nirvana um and we, we we talked about the moniker uh the kurt cobain of hollywood and i've softened on it as this episode has gone along but at first i'll tell you why i hated it was because he clearly was given that moniker after kurt died which kurt died after river so it's like mm-hmm. almost like a post mm-hmm. kind of thing but with what you went through in the music i'm actually like yeah you know what that's not it's not a bad obviously the the heroin is another link to the two of them uh the musical uh i guess genius you could say mm-hmm. potential for potential, sure but yeah, yeah absolutely the reports of whether they're whether they're real or not the uh i want to be anonymous i don't want to be famous that's yeah. both of them there's a, a truth to it but there's also you chose this for a reason and you did this maybe you didn't want to be super famous you got super famous that's fine but 
to say you wanted to be a completely anonymous, that's a little hard to do with the, the, the line of work that you go into, especially when you excel at it as well. And you mm-hmm. know you're excelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Yeah, the anonymous quote actually yeah. comes in as one of the urban legends as to his supposed last words. Yeah. Uh, and or him passing away mm. and some people believe that there were no last words and some people believe that his last words were i quote no paparazzi i want anonymity and i thought to myself are you fucking kidding me Not this guy's struggling yeah. for his life yeah, there's no possible that. way that shit also, takes place also he didn't he at that moment, I'm sure he was not thinking, oh, I'm dead. No. You know what I mean? No. I mean, it may be going through his mind, but he's also kind of struggling to live. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in September 2020, Joaquim and his wife, Rooney Mara, welcomed their son into the world. And of course, they named him River uh, after his brother. River uh, Joaquim, actually, when he won the Oscar, had a nice little uh, part there. Do you have the quote of what he said when he won the Oscar? I don't, He actually. quoted River, one of River's... Uh, lyrics from the music and he said if uh uh something about uh peace and love it's actually it's 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 a beautiful quote and he quoted it when he when he got up there and quoted his brother and it was really nice really nice moment joaquim is a an interesting man himself Mm -hmm. um so i don't know maybe a future episode if you want to pull that up what i will add is that uh for the longest time, it was actually two his two sisters that had named their sons after River. Okay. So uh, Liberty had named her son Rio, which is Spanish for river. And Summer had named her son Indiana, which uh, because River played young Indiana Jones. And then, of course, you know, trifecta with um, with Joaquin last year. So I thought that that was kind of neat. And he ended up named, naming his child River, right? So mm-hmm. uh, that was a little bit more. But I thought that was a great way to kind of, you know, memor- to to keep their family lineage going and keep the memory of their brother going as well. Were you able yeah. to locate that? Yes, quote? I actually have it. Um... I'm not sure what song it's from, but it's a song that River wrote. Uh, Joaquin quoted it at the Oscars when he won. He said, um, my brother River wrote this as a teen. Run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. Mm, nice. So I think that's it's, it's, it's a wonderful quote. And if you don't have anything else, what we did with Keanu was we ended on some quotes. And I was going to do some quotes from some people about River. And then I said, fuck it. You know, I don't. I think we're going to actually take some quotes from the man himself. Yeah, no, I mean, the only thing I had, which was a nice little sentiment from this person who wrote the article, you know, she just wonders about what the world would be like. It's really easy to imagine River living on a ranch in Idaho or California, acting on occasion in indie movies, urging all of us to look up from our phones mm-hmm. and think of the land, the sea and the sky. And I think that she kind of nailed it with that. So yeah. that's all I have. Yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll go through a, a few quotes, and then where I'm going to get to his most famous um, most famous quote. But uh, this one here, this <laughs> this one is it, it seems to be a theme with us, but just because we, I feel like we accept everybody and anybody for who they are. Uh, I don't, I try my hardest not to judge people, but this one is a good one. This one, is, it still strikes me as strange that anyone could have any moral objection to someone else's sexuality. It's like telling someone else how to clean their house. Nice. I like that. Yeah, I did like that too. This one goes along with how I think right here. Addiction is not just for bad people or scumbags. It's a universal disease. Mm-hmm. Here's his, uh, this is his thoughts on one of his, one of his quotes on, 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 on veganism and, and whatnot. He said, uh, when I was old enough to realize all meat was killed, I saw it 
as an irrational way of using our power. To take a weaker thing and mutilate it, it was like the way bullies would take control of younger kids in the schoolyard. Hmm. That's pretty fucking... That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, yep. And this is probably his most famous quote, and it makes its rounds every year on social media on Halloween. I think it's kind of as a little tribute to him because he did uh, actually pass on Halloween. Um, so this is... Uh, this is you'll see it you'll see it you probably if you've probably seen it before and haven't noticed it but it's acting as like a halloween mask that you put on that's it so i feel that there's a lot more to the river story we just kind of scraped the surface with it i remember seeing that news uh that he passed away i remember being sad that day and uh yeah i i mean you had said to me before that you you weren't a huge river fan back then so i don't know are you now <laughs> yeah i am um and and actually i'm just a fan of his artistic abilities mm-hmm. right That's awesome. uh, storytelling music uh acting all of it and i think i would put it in that that sequence of events so yeah i'm a fan okay so this is how we're gonna end this one if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction or mental illness, there are resources at your fingertips. Talk to a friend, talk to a family member. If you don't think you have anybody, fucking message us. We'll do what we can.